Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, huge news of the week. Big news. Mm-hmm. Full-size candy bars do exist. Yes, yes, they're back. After our segment about that, you know, like I said, I had some conversations with my friends. We decided to make a coalition of people Love who it. are going to pass out full-size candy bars on Halloween. Saw Peyton posted about it. Um, my coworker Gina that I was talking about, she did Halloween with us. We all did the full size candy bar. Some people were in the post talking about they want to give up full size candy bars. So hey, you know, you can be be the change you want to see in the world. That's what I said in the in the group. You know, if you if you've never met that mythical person, now you have. It's me. I what I really did was I inspired people to want to give away full size and or king size candy bars, mm-hmm. and that's that that's giving back to the world. If, if I do mm-hmm. nothing else but just inspire Americans to give away more candy, then I'm good. I think my work here is done. I think it is. Much like Wu-Tang, Connor is for the children. Yes. Uh, that's what I say each and every day. You read <laughs> me like a book, Will. We have a lot to get to. Lot to get to today. My goodness. Brian Harson officially out at Auburn. First playoff rankings are out. We've got a division title week to break down. Aaron Murray's going to join us. We've got Bolden Brash week 10 and Lad of the Week. Did I say mm-hmm. that we got a lot to get to? Did I say that there's... How many pages of notes, Connor? We got 17, buddy. We got 17. We're ready to roll. That's how oh, we yeah. get here. Before we dig into all of that, you guys know it. Texas Pete, they have the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, well, Brian Harson officially out at Auburn. In terms mm-hmm. of guys who have been fired within their first three years on the job for on-field reasons, just talking about on-field, right? You'd be hard pressed to find one more inevitable than Harson. I think you know the Pruitt stuff. Like, was it on-field? Was it off-field? Ah, whatever. But you know, like Chad Morris, obviously. Joe Moorhead wasn't inevitable. I mean, I'm not the only person saying that. This felt very much inevitable. It was just a matter of time. Don't you know it happens right after John Cohen gets the athletic director job, at least Mississippi State for Auburn. $15.5 million. Half of it is owed to him in the first 30 days. Oh, become man. A, become a college football coach, kids. <laughs> My <laughs> Goodness. Not a baseball player. That means you have to hit a curveball. No, no, no. Be a mid-college football coach. No, mid-college football coach. Definitely more lucrative. That means in the last two years, 37 million bucks that Auburn has forked over to head coaches not to work. And that doesn't include the money that assistants got. So that's that's crazy in itself. Harson is gonna walk out with like $25 million for you know. Two years of work. So before you tell me, oh, I feel so bad for him. What a shame. Remember that he was just compensated really handsomely for two years of nine and 12 football. And he's Mm going to get another head coaching job really soon. So I wouldn't worry about him too much. I think there are a lot of people who see those figures and they see that in a high pressure job, a guy got fired before he finished his second year. And because it's Auburn, some people are just going to be like, well, Auburn's going to Auburn. And those people will choose to stick with that narrative instead of adding the context that Auburn was one and nine in its last 10 games against power five competition. You know, the, you know, the one game that they won, mm-hmm. he burned through quarterback or he burned through quarterbacks and coordinators like six of gum. The transfer portal was a one way street. 
And his recruiting class during his second full cycle was worse than Rutgers. And it wasn't in the top 50. Now, did the, the coup to get him fired impact that recruiting class? Of course, absolutely it did. From that perspective, okay. I, I feel like Harson was probably in an unsalvageable situation. But Harson was fired because he couldn't figure it out. And he showed no signs whatsoever that he was going to figure it out. He could talk all he wants about being patient. You know, we didn't get enough time. There are some people who are going to say he didn't get enough time. Buddy, if you have a coup to get you fired and your evaluation skills as a power five head coach tell you that you're good with TJ Finley, Zach Calzada, and Robbie Ashford as your quarterback to save your job, I'm not being patient with you anymore. Okay? <laughs> Big warning sign. It is. Listen, this is not the fault of Hoover High School legend Robbie Ashford. I just want to get out in front of that. Okay, <laughs> He did everything he could to save Brad Harson's job. Yeah, but it's like, how else was this situation going to turn out? We talked about it so much in the preseason. Like, close your eyes and picture TJ Finley leading a nine and three Auburn. All right, now wake Can't. up because that's not that's not a dream. All right, it's right. not. It just isn't. If you read some of the stuff that's come out about Harson from AL.com, I know Brandon Marcello has been all over this. Justin Hokinson of on three, you see that Auburn that that, that Auburn and Harson, it, it just wasn't a relationship that was going to work. And part of that is because Harson was too stubborn. The whole like not showing up to Bo Jackson's golf outing thing. All right. Like, yeah, some people understand schmoozing. Some people don't. That AL.com quote about his fight with Derek Mason was very telling. Very telling. <laughs> if you recall, Derek Mason, <laughs> oh, he, man. he took the $400,000 pay cut to leave Auburn for Oklahoma State to take the same job as defensive coordinator. Before that happened. They were trying to hire a defensive line coach. And, you know, as the story goes, Mason's like, hey, you know, I, I run the defense. I want my voice to be heard on this hire. And, Ma and Mason told Harson, quote, I've been a head coach in this league longer than you have. And Harson's response is, oh, you mean at Vanderbilt? I mean, <laughs> that's hilarious on both ends because both are kind of true. It's like, hey, he has technically been in the SEC longer than Harson, but again, at Vanderbilt. <laughs> you know, that, that's one of those things that you can say with your buddies if you're getting into an argument about like who knows more than college football, right? Yep. But to have a back and forth like that with your top assistant, yikes. Not great. Yep. That's not the way that you draw it up. Clearly, Brian Harson rubs some people the wrong way. It was always a weird fit. The fact that he never had that sense of urgency that he needed probably in those last, you know, six months post-coup, you know, I, I think that that was ultimately his undoing and not seeing the struggles that this team was having early on and being able to make those changes. And maybe he didn't have enough to be able to make those changes because the depth was obviously just not there for this team. And it wasn't like he was going to snap his fingers and figure out this offensive solution or figure out how to get more defensive linemen who can actually stay on the field for him. I, I think that ultimately we saw this coming from a mile away. And then Monday's news only confirmed what we've been talking about for a very long time. Auburn needs a new coach. I disagree with my guy, Matt Hayes, on this when he says, others say this as well. Well, who would want to coach at Auburn? <laughs> I still think there is definitely going to be a market. I do. And, and if your thing is, well, you could be fired in two years, I'd argue that you know Gus being there for eight years, Tuberville getting a decade at Auburn, even though he had Jetgate happen, all right? I think that kind of pours some cold water on the, the hot take, this is just a revolving door of head coaches. It's really not. Remember, Auburn's got the new $92 million facilities upgrade. They've got $13 million of NIL fundraising to really make this thing go. Mm -hmm. Given how it went with Harson, 
man, I, I just think that they're going to be really desperate. And dare I say, they're going to be really generous with a compensation package for a new head coach, which again, that's the great equalizer. Okay. You can't, can't make up money. You can't. And it's Back up the Briggs truck, Mr. Yellowwood guy. Now you're paying three, count them three coaches. What's that from? Oh, it's from Star Wars when they were doing the pod racers. So he's got four, count them four engines. Anyway. I, I just whiffed on a Star Wars reference. That's a that's a pretty big indictment of my character, probably. No spoilers, though. Okay, so <laughs> is, Luke, is, is um, Darth Vader the, the father? That's that's the way that that plays out. Oh, shh! Come on. All right, sorry, my bad. My bad. <laughs> okay, so so why do I bring up the money aspect of it? If I'm Auburn, I go all in for Lane. I do. Harson is the guy that couldn't figure it out, and Lane is the guy who did. Remember the offseason pod where. I talked about how, you know, we're like, yeah, Ole Miss, they have all these changes, but I just trust Lane to figure it out. Lane had 30 new players on his roster. He had both coordinators leave. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss is off to its best start in nine games in 50 years. All right. He figured it out. That's what great coaches do. Auburn needs someone who can overhaul a roster in a hurry and actually mm -hmm. run a top 25 offense, which Lane is about to have his third consecutive top 25 offense at Ole Miss. Meanwhile, Auburn, with two offensive-minded head coaches, had one top 25 offense in the playoff era, and it was the 2017 group, which ranked, you guessed it, number 25. I know what you're thinking. Why would Lane ever leave Ole Miss for Auburn? doesn't make any sense, Connor. Why are you telling me this? You're wasting your breath. He's going to hang up that phone call in two seconds. Actually, it's like Jimmy Sexton who would get the phone call, and then he talks to Lane, and then Lane talks to yeah, You know how it works. Mm -hmm. It's a fair point. And I have no idea if Lane will or won't. I, I really don't. I've been on record saying that I would actually take the over on whatever sort of projection there is for Lane at Ole Miss because I truly think he loves the freedom that he has there. And mm -hmm. I think that he loves Oxford. I think he enjoys kind of the chess match of knowing that he's not blessed with the same talent as Alabama, LSU, or Georgia. And I don't think there are a lot of jobs that Lane would leave Ole Miss for. I'm not saying that. Again, I poo-pooed the Miami thing when that was happening. And there are a lot of places where if Lane's name came up, I'd be like, nope, that makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the comments from Lane earlier earlier this season about Vaught Hemingway sometimes look like it's, it sometimes looks like a high school game when guys are mm -hmm. coming out of the halftime locker room and it's half empty and you at least have to wonder what he wants. Does he feel like he can win a national championship at Ole Miss, who has yet to ever make it to an SEC championship, or does he feel like he can do that at Auburn, which has played for a national championship three times this century with three different coaches, and now is the part where. Someone corrects me and reminds me that a 14 and 0 Auburn team in 2004 didn't technically play for a national title. You get what I'm saying, though. All right. In today's day and age, that I'm, I'm going to count that. Okay. So, honestly, yeah. Looking back at that, it looks stupid rather than a. Yeah. Definitely. It's stupid then, stupid now, whatever you want to call it. That, that team, mm -hmm. national championship worthy, in my opinion. There's also something else to remember. And, Will, you know what I'm getting at here. Maybe, maybe you don't, but you're going to remember what I'm getting at. Okay. Lane got to raise this offseason to put him in that $7 million club. Mm -hmm. How many years did he get? Four. Yes, he did well. <laughs> and why did he get four? Because four is the longest amount of time that a state employee in Mississippi can be employed, on, at least on a contract basis, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. I don't necessarily think that money is the thing that's going to sway Lane. All right. So I'm not saying like, uh, you know, he's just going to go to the, to the highest bidder. That's, that's not what this comes down to. The guy's been well compensated throughout his career. But if Auburn made the deal that many are making these days, think about this. 
10 years, fully or mostly guaranteed money that's dangerously close to $100 million. Mm -hmm. Again, that's shocking to hear. It's becoming more and more popular. Lane isn't hearing about his job security if he starts off four and two with that contract. Brother, we know it because there's somebody currently in the SEC who is just unfireable because of their contract. Yep. And you know what? You get to fall back on that. And it shows, okay, we're committed to you. We're not just going to have knee-jerk reactions. And for those saying, well, it's Auburn, I mean, paid paid Gus $21.5 million. bucks. you think that they're going to fire Lane in year two? And pay him eighty something something million dollars? Like no, like that's not that's not the way this works. It's just not. So if you're Auburn and you make that offer, that shows okay you're committed to this. You're you're in it for the long haul. That's that's as much job security as you can have as you can possibly have. So if you're Auburn, also you're like all right. Well, you know there's risk on our end too. Like what if Lane reverts back to his old ways? Well. And you organize a coup and you fire him with cost. That's Simple. Auburn fans, you've already been through this a couple of times. <laughs> Go ask Tennessee. Shoot the moon. It's the easiest thing to do. All right. Money isn't going to be an issue for Auburn. It's not. There's more TV money coming. There's more playoff money coming. The incentive to succeed has never been greater. And the last place that Auburn wants to be ahead of not only this Texas-Oklahoma migration to the SEC, but ahead of this pay-for-play era, which we talk about coming in the latter half of the 2020s, last place you want to be is at the bottom of this conference stuck in misery. And they are dangerously close to that if they don't make the right hire. And if Lane says thanks, but no thanks, go with Hugh Freeze. I would. I, I'm sorry. I still think the guy's capable of, I, and we'll get to some Hugh Freeze stuff later because they play Arkansas this weekend. Oh, yeah. I still think he knows his way around an offense pretty well. Pretty mm-hmm. darn well. Shout out Malik Willis. Come on now. Of course. Oh gosh, there's this is not the last Malik Willis reference this pod. Let me <laughs> let me assure you of that. And and by the way, uh, if you're listening to this thinking to yourself, what about Dion? All right, he's the most splashy hire there is at this point. Um it's I'm not anti-Dion. I I just have more concerns with his fit as someone who has never run a Power 5, uh, it's just a Power 5 program and it we saw what happened if you don't understand the schmoozing and whatnot that needs to be done with Harson. Dion mm-hmm. goes to the beat of his own drum. Like if you follow any of this Jackson state content that he's been cranking out and all that different stuff, like he's got the keys to everything. And while I think he would be tremendous at getting talent in the door and it absolutely could work, you're still in need of also finding the great offensive mind, which we need, you need to be able to win in this day and age. So I would support the move. I absolutely would. I could see the path to success, but I just see more potholes with Dion than I do with lane or even Hugh freeze. Well, Thoughts, Auburn. What a sentence. Who would have, five years ago, who would have thought? Right. Um, yeah. So first I just want to nominate Matt Luke as the most dead man walking. Uh, I think the whole time he was at Ole Miss, I was waiting for him to get fired. I think he's the only guy I would put at the uh the Harson level because he brought it, he was brought in to pay for Ole Miss's sins, and it was like, all right, buddy, we're good. Then obviously they did their thing. Um, but yeah, no, I so try to be nice here. Um so to me, I think there are two different schools that you have really unique booster situations. It's Auburn and Texas, right? And you see the guys that have succeeded in those places. Mac Brown was the last successful coach at Texas. I don't care what anybody says. He was an amazing guy at dealing with the boosters and getting the things he wanted and then locking them in a closet and telling them to go away. Gus, for better or for worse, was pretty good with the boosters until they even got sick of him. Um, so where I get really worried about Lane is a couple of things. Um, so first off, I think he's in a perfect situation in Ole Miss. Let me tell you why. Every time something doesn't go Lane Kiffin's way at Ole Miss, he blames Ole Miss 
Hmm. And you can do that at Ole Miss, but you can't do that at Auburn. Okay. When you get beaten by, you know, when you're never close with Alabama, when you get blown up by LSU, you can go say, oh, well, you know, oh, well, we wanted to keep DJ Durkin, but we just don't have any money. Oh, well, you know, all these other schools have NIL opportunities, but we just don't have any money. I wish if if I had money, I could just get Bryce Young, right? Well, then you look at the recruiting rankings, and he's behind Cincinnati, okay? So <laughs> I think that Lane isn't a perfect job because they're good enough to put him in a conversation of re- relevancy without having the expectations that he ever actually succeeds. He reminds me a lot of Dan Mullen in that way. I think that he would be perfect for, to do what Lincoln Riley did, to go to an Oregon or somewhere out west. Maybe Washington would be a great fit for him to where he has to win two or three games a year and can always be in that expanded playoff and can always be in some type of conversation. But when you come to Auburn and you get this massive contract, you can't then turn around and do almost anything he's done at Ole Miss when he's lost. I you think can't he knows win. that. I, I think you would know based that. on what empirical evidence of Lane Kiffin do you ever think he has that ability? Based on I'm the like, fact that he had no room for air at Alabama, none. Couldn't blame anybody. Bro, the minute he got another job at Alabama, he left and spit in Saban's face. <laughs> I wouldn't call it. No, I wouldn't call that. No, I, no, no, no. I, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly with that. I think, I think getting another job for him at that stage of his career when he's done three years at Alabama calling plays, he's like, all right, I want to be a head coach. And did he handle that going out at FAU the way that? An adult should have no absolutely not. not and that's not, my point and that's all i'm saying is that 10 years to lane kiffin where was lane kiffin 10 years ago 10 years ago would have been 2012 so he's in the, the later days at usc okay <laughs> so think about what late what 10 years is for lane kiffin i'm just saying because i have always been on the you know lane's a little bit mercurial if he leaves one sec west school to go to another one that's not alabama or you know i Hate to say LSU, but it feels like LSU is kind of there. Lane Kiffin needs to sit around and wait for a job where he has an advantage in every game. Because if he has to recruit with Saban, he can't. I'm not being mean. He just can't. It, it, there's, we've not seen any evidence that this guy can recruit or coach at that type of level. And mind you, he's had those jobs previously. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against him. But I'm simply saying that there's a reason why he was at FAU. There's a reason why... He was at Ole Miss and not one of these other schools. And so I think that the way he has handled this Ole Miss job has been really frustrating to me because Ole Miss has been the one school that wanted to give him a chance coming out of, you know, he was at FAU way longer than anybody thought he would be, not because he wanted to be there. You know what I'm saying? And the minute he got a little bit of something to hold on to, he was looking for the LSU job. He was looking for the Miami job. And you can say that's all rumors or whatever, but every time a job comes up, Lane Kiffin is linked to it. And like you said, he's a Jimmy Sexton guy. Do you think that's an accident? No. And so, I see this going away if they hire Lane Kiffin to where they fall in love with him for a couple of years. Then he gets bored like he does all the time and he starts looking for things to kind of blame. And I I just I think that would be a nightmare hire for them because you're already paying a couple of coaches. You have boosters who didn't like the, the last hire and you have a guy in Lane Kiffin who forget about the recruiting, forget about the coaching, forget about the winning is not going to make those boosters happy. Even if he wins, he's going to do a thing or two because imagine those offers boosters having to hear after a loss to Alabama. We just don't have as much money as Alabama. That's why we lose. The ones that are writing the $100 million checks. Because if I was an old Miss booster right now, I'd be furious at the way Lane talks to me. Yeah, I, I, and I get I, – I, I think that there, there are some things that, that are always going to follow Lane wherever he goes. And there's always going to be this thought of, like, what if he's the old version of himself? What if he's the guy who – is still making all these mistakes, you know, that he did at Tennessee and at USC. No, I'm and talking about the guy right now. That I guy, I'm not trying to hold that guy against him. I get that. I'm not, you know. I, I'm saying like, 
I, I, I think that the, the mindset that Lane has had at Ole Miss has been the right one. I think okay. that to succeed at a place like that, wherein he just delivered their best regular season in school history last year. And like I said, he's off to their best start in 50 mm-hmm. years this year in year three, when he had that much turnover, that much turnover. And for me, I look at this situation in Auburn and say, well, you're, he's he understands that when he takes this next job, any excuses he has, they're going away. They're gone. You don't mm-hmm. get that room for error. He saw that for three years at Alabama. He saw it while he was at USC. He probably saw it a little bit when he was at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I think a different version of Lane at this stage in his career is better prepared to handle the challenges and all the minutia that comes with that. And I'm not saying that it would be perfectly smooth sailing, but I think he is the right person given how much he knows this conference, given what he knows about being able to work the transfer portal, being able to adjust to his personnel, something that he has done an incredible job of these last two years. And to me, he is the guy that I would want even though he has his he has his skeletons in the closet, there's no doubt about it. But I just have been so impressed by the job that he's done at Ole Miss, and I wouldn't have said this three years ago. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said this. Would have said, stay away, don't touch him with a ten foot pole. But showing that you can build a program in this conference, think about this. Well, in the last in the last two years, regular season, best regular season records in college football: mm-hmm. Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Ole Miss. Ole Miss is right there. They're mm-hmm. fifth in that department. That is insane to think about. I think Oregon is like right there as well. Yeah, something like that. Um, that that's it. Like he has already been able to do that. And I know we got a lot, we got a million things to get to today. So I don't want to spend too much more time on this. But this is interesting stuff. I mean, this is like we were waiting on this forever with the Arson thing. But it, it it's a fascinating question that that Lane mm-hmm. is gonna have to ask himself of what do I feel like I I want? And what do I feel like I could get? Because mm-hmm. you're right, though, that it is a, a no-excuse job that he is ultimately going to probably want to go to if he leaves a place like Ole Miss and to not feel like he has any sort of disadvantages whatsoever. You know where I like Lane Kiffin is Nebraska. Don't even come. <laughs> Stop it. That would be perfect for no, him. He has two wins a year that he has to and get. He's win 10 too. games. And now, 10 years after Bo Pelini, those boys would be fired up. But no. I will say this. You always say... You know, don't present a problem without a solution. I'm here to tell you right now, I do not have a solution. Okay. So I am breaking that rule, all right? I'm, <laughs> I'm here to tell you this is a hard job to fill. I don't want to just come on here and say, no, you're wrong. This is incorrect. Here's an obvious – because there isn't one. Auburn most unique job in the country. Right. Most like unique, the, yeah. If, if, if Auburn was where they wanted to be, they would not have hired Harsh in the first place. Let's just be honest. So – I think they probably need to back up the Brinks shop, the Brinks truck for some proven commodity. Now, who is out there? You know, that's the question. Lane's definitely one of the better guys that are out there. So I think even if they get Lane and stabilize it for a couple of years and then maybe, you know, show them the boot and go with the next guy, that's fine. That's way better than they're at. So going from now to Lane is not bad. Going from that to the next thing is the hard part. You feel me? Yeah, in the NIL money and then the $92 million facilities upgrade. Like those yep. are the two things yep. that, that a, a new head coach is going to look at and be like, all right, let's do it. Let's make this thing work. Let's make this thing go. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll have a lot more stuff about the Auburn head coaching job, I am sure. Oh, yeah. um, let's talk playoff bowl. A couple of things that we wanted to be able to, to hit on some takeaways from the very first playoff bowl. Don't you know it? I got big mad watching this. <laughs> <Tuesday night. laughs> Not me. <laughs> yeah. 
Good for you. Uh, we'll get to that part of it. Um, media mad, I guess, is the more appropriate way to say this. If you didn't see the, the first top 10 of the playoff poll, LSU was at number 10, USC at 9, Oregon at 8, TCU at 7, Bama 6, Michigan 5, Clemson 4, Georgia 3, Ohio State 2, and Tennessee is your number one team in college football. How about that? Mm-hmm. Shout out to the selection committee for actually ranking Tennessee number one. Also, shout out to SEC Network Social for blatantly ripping off my tweet about being the fifth SEC team to earn a number one ranking in the playoff poll and how no other conference has had multiple teams do that. Oh, well, I digress. Not bitter at all. Um, Tennessee deserved the number one spot and anything less would have been absolutely foolish. It's not just about the story. Look at the, look at the, the top 10 of the CFP. How many wins against fellow top 10 teams are there even available, right? Tennessee beat number six, Alabama. Tennessee beat number 10, LSU. Georgia beat number eight, Oregon. That's it. In terms of top 10 wins among that top 10. Georgia's the only other team who can claim that has a win against the current CFP top 10. Tennessee is two. Who else got a top 10 win? The LSU Tigers. Come on now. Wait. <laughs> well, no, we're, no, we're talking about the current CFP top 10. Yes. Oh, Ole Miss is 11th. Okay, yes. I thought you were talking about the top. Okay, my bad. Yes, yes. Yes, I, I was about to get really worried because I've talked about that on like four different platforms. No, you're right. Okay, that's I, I feel you. Okay, at the time it was a top ten. I feel you. Yeah. Yes. So that was actually something that I thought the section committee got right. I was ready mm-hmm. to be uh, really upset at them putting Ohio State at number one, and then that did not happen. Instead, they mm-hmm. put Ohio State at number two ahead of Georgia. Personally, I think what Georgia did to Oregon on a neutral site neutral site air quotes. I thought that was more impressive than what Ohio state just did at Penn state, who is the most outback bowl team that I have ever seen. Um, (laughs) Georgia's got the better win. They have just as many wins against power five teams with winning records as Ohio state. They both have two. And if you look at average margin of victory against power five teams, Georgia has Ohio state beat by nearly a touchdown. You might say, well, who really cares if it's one spot, these things get figured out. Probably true. But remember that Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan could all theoretically find themselves on the outside looking in of a conference championship at 11 and 1. What the selection committee says about their resume right now has at least some value. And what would worry me if I'm a Georgia fan is that the selection committee clearly looked at the Oregon win and said, well, they had a long time to prepare. This is a different Oregon team, which, in my opinion, is such a selective way to view this because it's supposed to be the entire resume. It'd be one thing if it was a dogfight, but that was an absolute beat down they took their freaking lunch man that game was one of the most lopsided games i've ever been to involving two power five teams there is no world in which a one loss georgia team should potentially be jumped by a one loss oregon team all right it just should not happen but i hear you georgia fans i do it won't matter because you'll be undefeated and this is all irrelevant whatever i get it um other thoughts I saw a lot of people saying that Clemson was the most fortunate team, which I kind of disagree with. I would rather have TCU at four, Clemson five, Michigan six, Bama seven in the Connor playoff bowl. That's what it would look like. Mm -hmm. If you look at this uh, among contenders, which I do every single Monday, I track these three stats. I do wins versus the current AP top 25. I do wins versus power five teams with winning records. And then the average scoring margin against power five teams. TCU and Clemson have four wins against power five teams with winning records. No contender has more than that, all right? Nobody nobody has four besides those two teams. Against mm-hmm. the current AP Top 25, Clemson has three wins. 
Nobody else does. TCU has two, and we hear the selection committee criticize TCU for playing in close games, even though TCU is just two points less than Bama in average scoring margin against Power 5 teams. If you want to do the thing where you just talk about, like, who'd be favored, cool. All right, let's not play the football games. Let's not do that. Right. That argument has a time and place. All right. Mm-hmm. It, it does. But in this one, it shouldn't. Ranking teams ahead of each other based on that premise, to me, doesn't really make a lot of sense. TCU has the biggest gripe. Georgia should be upset. And if you're mad about Clemson, I'd say like wait a week or two because they're three wins against current top 25 teams. Those teams are ranked between number 20 and 22. All right. It's mm-hmm. 20, 21, 22. Clemson's best win is at Wake Forest. So mm. See how that age is compared to, let's say, beating an Alabama or, you know, even beating Oregon, which that win obviously has aged really well for Georgia in many ways. And then I guess in some ways it kind of hasn't in Michigan. Sorry, but I don't want to hear about it when that non-conference schedule was a joke, an absolute joke. And really non-home game so far, we're at Indiana and at Iowa, both lovely places, been to them many a time. Not impressing me, just not. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Michigan, Ohio State, they look like locks to be undefeated going into the regular season finale unless we get something wacky like Brett Bielema going up to Ann Arbor, punching the entire state of Michigan in the face. Maybe Ohio State somehow loses (laughs) at Maryland. Shades of when that nearly happened in 2018. But tons of stuff that still need to be figured out and sorted. Will, did your heart skip a beat when you did not see LSU show up when 11 through 15 was revealed? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. In the prep to this pod, that's when I saw 9 through 1 because I was just jumping up and down. <laughs> I was so happy. Like, literally, I was like, there's no way. Like, to your point, it's like, yeah. And shout out one of these shows is when my Twitter got suspended last November. So, oh, wow, yeah. growth. Um, yeah, because I was tweeting about Georgia and that happened. But, like, yeah, no, no, no. This is super duper, like, I'm trying to get to say this. I'm with you. The first poll is always a little bit wonky. I really respect what TCU has done, Um, especially we talk about hard shoes to fill, man. Gary Patterson, and like I, I respect a lot the way that they've replaced him and not really like skipped a beat. They've gotten better, obviously. They haven't really truly been in contention since 2014, so that, like that's awesome for them. And to your point, it's like, the people that side on the side of big brands in college football just make me kind of sad because it's like, what's the point of you enjoying this sport if you just want Ohio State to be number one and Bama to be in with one loss? Like you you want these like new teams to kind of get in and influence recruiting and spread the wealth around a little bit. I do feel your point about Georgia, which is like kind of funny because I've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this a lot. Like you never really do it until you do it, right? And like Ryan Day has not done it, like in my opinion. He's beaten Michigan a couple of times. He's won a playoff game during COVID. That's fine. That's awesome. But like Georgia's done it. Kirby Smart has done it. They have beaten Alabama. They have won a national title. They have this great recruiting class. Ohio State has, you know, since the title team found a way to inexplicably lose to Iowa or Penn State or some random team every year. And it bothers me that at this point we're giving them more credence than undefeated defending national champion Georgia with the best win probably of anyone. Um, so that I, as a Georgia fan, I would be upset. But again, Georgia fans love being disrespected. And so this is great for them. They're going to come into this instead of it being a one to two matchup. It'll be a one and three. And they'll be like, hey, there's our pass to number one right there. So, hey, spin zone, maybe this is the best case scenario for Georgia. I should think it is. I really do. <laughs> I think if, if you're curvy, you didn't want to be number one. You mm-hmm. want to be number one. You got number, number one team in the country coming to your house. Let Tennessee deal with that. You, mm-hmm. You've shown that you can handle that before. Let's let's see what Tennessee does with the burden of being the number one team in the country. and. You know, a little conspiracy theory. Maybe Kirby slipped the selection committee, you know, a little money on the side. Say, hey, do me a favor. A little rat poison. 
a little rat poison. Uh, the yummy rat poison. That's the yummy rat poison. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just just make sure uh, keep us in the top three. Keep us in the top. Don't don't get too crazy on us. But you know, just put us at that third spot. All right. I need I need to humble the fellas here. Um, but I do think that there's a very good spin zone for Kirby in that regard. But it does. If I'm a Georgia fan, it does kind of worry me a little bit that that win against Oregon is not being held in the regard that many kind of anticipated it would when obviously Oregon has been so dominant since mm-hmm. that game. So that to me was, was a noteworthy thing, but this is week to week. And we right. know the selection committee talks in circles sometimes, and they'll say one thing one week, and then the next week they'll go back and they'll tell you something totally different. They're probably going to talk about how dominant TCU is next week or something like that. You just said they played in all these close games. What are you, what are you doing? That's mm-hmm. the way that this always works. But yeah, well, weekly breakdowns of the playoff rankings. Great time that, of year. It's the best time of the year, Connor. Love it. Clocks turn. I think I said that wrong on the podcast last week. I definitely woke up Sunday morning. and was like, wait a minute. The clocks didn't change. I got an extra hour of sleep back. Messed that one up. Totally. I was already in Las Vegas mode. So I was like, you know, man, you're probably right. <laughs> didn't matter. All right. Let's get to some picks. Huge week. We've got seven games to get to. We've got so, so much to be able to break down here. Let's start with the, let's start with the big one in the East, the East mm-hmm. championship, if you will. Number one, Tennessee, number three, Georgia, Georgia's an eight point favorite. The over under I have 30 Tennessee points. Stat that I've been throwing around all week. You'll hear it later with Aaron Murray as well. In games that Georgia has allowed 30 points under Kirby Smart, they're one and nine. Oh boy. The lone win, Rose Bowl, Oklahoma. Yep. Got a lot of Oklahoma fans in my mentions. <laughs> like, why did you have to bring that up? How dare you? <laughs> that was one of the most chaotic games of all time. That game ruled. Like that game was incredible. I, I'm sure it, it, you hate it if you're an Oklahoma fan, but that was their best playoff performance. So like you should yeah. probably love this. True. Hey, get, get a banner for it for all I care. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Uh, in games that Georgia has held its opponents to less than 30 points under Kirby Smart, 73 and 6. Jeez. Yeah. Tennessee, 11 consecutive games with 34 points. Last team to hold the Vols to less than 34 points, Georgia last year, mm-hmm. albeit with a very different defense. Very, very different. They mm-hmm. sacked Hooker five times in that game, protecting Hooker kind of an Achilles heel for that Tennessee team last year. This year, Tennessee's only allowed 13 sacks in eight games. And even Alabama, Will Anderson, all those great pass rushers, sacked them once. That's it. Georgia, Mm -hmm. meanwhile, last in the SEC in sacks. And, by the way, just lost Nolan Smith, season-ending pec injury. Hate Mm -hmm. that for that kid who came back when everybody kind of assumed after the second half of last year that he had that he would be off to the NFL. If that's his last game that he has played at Georgia, that is a major bummer. That kid was awesome. Exactly what you could have hoped for as a five-star number one overall recruit back in the day. Mm -hmm. Wait, 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 time out. You just told me that Georgia is last in sacks in the SEC? Yep. Like Vanderbilt and Mizzou have more. That is a stat. Okay, continue. Weird. And and I think part of that too, and I've talked about this with, with Bama, I think people see those five stars coming and they see Jalen Carter <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm not outrunning this guy. Get rid of the football immediately. <laughs> and so there's, there's something to it, but obviously they would love to be able to get home more than that. That's not a rate that, that Kirby Smart is satisfied with. This is what I was talking about the entire offseason, though. If you're Georgia, you're probably going to need to send extra guys to try and get to Hennon Hooker. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, he's going to get those one-on-ones and he is <laughs> 
so good at recognizing those one-on-ones when he has those mismatches. I'll be fascinated to see how Kirby plays this defensively because nobody has really cracked the code to slow down this 2022 version of Tennessee. I've seen some people say, oh, time of possession is pivotal for this one. How? How? Tennessee is 125th in the country in time of possession. <laughs> Brother, Tennessee is not. If Tennessee wins time of possession in this game, they're winning this game by 30. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, keep Tennessee off the field. Oh, who cares, man? They get all these drives with less than two minutes. That doesn't matter. Right. They're so dangerous because they score quicker than anybody in the country with those chunk plays. And if you say, well, that's why you got to slow it down. You got to run the football. Good luck because Tennessee is ninth in the country against the run. They're ninth mm-hmm. in the country, both in yards per game allowed and yards per carry allowed. That's why Tennessee this year is not some like 2020 old Miss thing. Okay. It's not. And, mm-hmm. and for Georgia fans saying that this will inevitably be a shootout, I'd push back on that a little bit. Tennessee's defense showed against Kentucky and against LSU. That is by no means a doormat. It's not. And I realize we talked about LSU. Brother, one team was a doormat in the LSU game. Yes. One team had fans leaving early in the fourth quarter of that one. And it was mm-hmm. not the people in orange. All right. They almost towed out our goalpost. <laughs> they deserve to. With that, with that showing, man, it was impressive. I think that because so many of us watched Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young have big days against Tennessee, that we're losing sight of a couple of things with this Tennessee defense. For starters, yes, they are 127th in the country against the pass. All right. I know that that stat is there. You know who has had more passes attempted on them than anyone in America? Tennessee. <laughs> Vols are actually top half of FBS in yards per pass attempt allowed. And their opposing quarterback rating is the same exact quarterback rating that a certain Spencer Rattler has this year. So, like, that's the type of performance they're allowing. They're playing like, Spencer Rattler every game. That's yes. funny. A lot of Spencer Rattler slander. We talked him up in the preseason a little bit, but, yeah, we're going to have some not-so-flattering things to say about the South Carolina offense in a little bit. More stats for you. Tennessee, number 18 in the country with third-down defense. Tennessee, mm-hmm. also number 18 in the country, in opposing red zone touchdown percentage. The old bend but don't break thing. Tennessee only allowed four passes of 40 yards all year. That's number 33 in the country. Quietly, Tennessee's got the number 26 scoring defense. That means for just the second time this year, Georgia's going to face a top 30 scoring defense. The other one that they faced, Mizzou, who held Georgia without a touchdown for the first 50 minutes. Just saying. Yeah. You know what I'm getting to. You know mm-hmm. it. I can throw out all of these things. And I can also at the same time speak out of the other side of my mouth and say, well, it's Kirby. You know, it's like this is the guy who's 26 and one in his last 27 games with a lone loss coming to Bryce Young when he delivered one of the best individual performances of the last decade. I mm-hmm. absolutely believe that. This is the guy who's got just two losses to SEC East teams since the start of 2017. He hasn't lost a regular season game anywhere in over two years. You know, that atmosphere is going to be second to none. And I'll just say it. Probably, and I didn't wake up and choose violence today. Well, I didn't. It's going to be a little notch above 11 a.m. in Death Valley. Just a little bit. That, a little bit. Yeah. That's the most intimidating atmosphere that Tennessee has played in thus far. That's a, there's a, a very good possibility. I'm admitting that. There's a very good possibility that Georgia shows up pissed off. They hear about all this Tennessee chatter. They're not the sexy team anymore. They're not the on-the-rise team anymore. They they exercise those demons. They got rid of the 1980 jokes. And maybe they come out there and they they look like, man, we're on a mission. We're repeating. We're doing that. But do you really think I'm going to pivot now? Do you really think that's going to happen? Come on. No, sir. 
Did you really think that after saying in July, in August, September, October, did, did you really think that I was going to not say Tennessee beat Georgia? No chance. Balls. Storybook season continues. They complete the rivalry trifecta. Tennessee wins 35-28. Well, I think I've officially chugged the entire state dry of orange Kool-Aid. Oh, they'll make more. Don't worry. And I, I, I almost heard a vowels out of you there. I feel like we're all we're all the way on the uh, all the way on the bandwagon. Yeah, man, I I agree. Um, and the crazy thing is, bro, I was thinking about this when you were talking about it. It's like, well, this is like one of the harder SEC schedules I've seen, especially have an East team because if you think about, it, they went to Death Valley. Like, yep. I'm not going to take that away from them. And LSU then reeled off two pretty impressive wins after that. Um, you know, players only meeting people forget, but you know, they, they played Georgia, they played LSU, they played, they're, they're playing like all of these schools that are like the ones like, oh, sorry, Bama is the one I'm thinking of. Duh. Duh. There we go. They played Bama. They played LSU like in the West. And it's like, those are your top two teams in the West. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the whole, all the knocks against Tennessee have been pretty predictable. And like I said about the glass ceiling thing, this is a team. I believe if they've already broken the glass ceiling, because to me, beating Alabama is harder than winning a championship. If you, if you could, if you could say, okay, you know, you have a, like you have a chance to do one of these things. If you don't see Alabama, you win a championship or you can beat Alabama. Winning a championship might be easier in some years, just because of how good Alabama is every year. You know, you could end up playing like Michigan last year. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so point being, like, they've already shown that their offense is good enough that they can, you know, score with these teams, even when they make mistakes like they did, you know, with the scoop and score and everything. They come back with the onside kick. Um, You know, you guys can play your SDS podcast drinking game now because Will is about to talk, to talk about game script. Um, So we've already <laughs> talked about the game script that goes really well for, for Tennessee, right? Like you said, sending pressure, one-on-one coverage, hooker over the top. We've all seen it 100 times. No, no rocket science there. Let me ask you this question. What does... And we talked about not type of possession. What does a win look like for Georgia? I asked I asked Aaron that because I I think that their their path is coming out like gangbusters and like twenty one nothing. Like they, they mm-hmm. have to punch them in the mouth early. You have to make them feel so overwhelmed from the jump and make this feel like you are fighting an uphill battle. And every mistake that you make in that atmosphere from that point forward is going to cost you the game. And that is way easier said than done. But I truly think there is something to that unbelievable start because, you know, once you get a couple of punches in, you're like, all right, not so bad. What does Rocky say to Drago? Not so bad. (laughs) I can handle this. I can take this. If Tennessee comes out and all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, it's 2021 Arkansas, Georgia all over again, they don't have a chance. I don't think that's going to happen because Hendon Hooker is not physically at the place that KJ Jefferson was for this game last year. But Mm -hmm. I think that is Georgia's path. You have to get a big lead early and lock it in from that point because otherwise I don't want to go back and forth with Tennessee. I've seen that movie play out. Yep, They'll come back from anything and they come back from that Dallas Turner play. And that team just does not care. They just keep throwing punches. That's what they do. Yeah, and to your point about Arkansas, we've talked about it. Arkansas is a horizontal team, which was playing against the best one of the best defenses we've ever seen in Georgia. Tennessee is a vertical team playing against a defense that, while still good, is not that good. So it's it's like to – I think that the key here for Georgia would be two things, right? It is you have to win on defense. You have to have negative plays, right? So to your point, sacks got to be there. Got to have a turnover or two. 
Got to, got to, because to your point about how the game flow goes, especially at home for Georgia, if Georgia goes out, has a nice drive to start the game, and then immediately they pick off Hooker. That, yes. as a Georgia fan, is what that looks like. That's like, okay, now we're up 14 nothing. Now we just got to kind of like hold on to the ball, throw to the tight ends. Because to your point, a shootout doesn't look great for Georgia. Um, And I mean, I, I would probably say the thing that scares me about Georgia versus Tennessee is like, I said this to my, one of my coworkers, it's like, so is Brock Bowers going to have 250 in a shootout? Which could happen. Like, let's not let's not dump on Brock Bowers. That could be, but it needs to be that. It doesn't need to be 150 like he had in the SEC championship game last year. It needs to be two hundo and, like, two tutties. It's not, like, a good game. It's, like, historic statuesque game by Brock Bowers. Because the receivers are just not that good. And there's there's an argument to be made that, well, maybe this is the best rushing attack that, that Tennessee has faced. The mm-hmm. most multifaceted because Jameer Gibbs is ridiculous. And he had a few plays in that game where he just would leave Tennessee defenders in the dust. And it was mm-hmm. incredible. But in terms of having a few different guys that can hit you, can you push that number, that number nine ranked run defense and give them a little bit something that they haven't seen quite yet? Because they've seen the great individual backs and they've seen Jameer Gibbs and they just saw Chris Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. But once that team starts to recognize, all right, we can we can defend the run without necessarily loading the box. We trust our back end to be able to take care of this. Then we're going to keep everything in front. That's what they do. Then that's when they start to really feel like, all right, we can take over. And I don't know that the path for Georgia is totally simple to say, oh, you need to throw the ball X amount of times. I would tend to think you need balance in this game. You absolutely <laughs> need balance. If you're not going to have that, good luck. Good luck. Because that's I, the I don't thing think... about the Tennessee run defense. Exactly to your point. It's like, you don't really want to run against Tennessee. Like you, you, if your primary objective, and I talked about this with Pitt and they did the rush defense feels night and day different since that Pitt game. Cause I, boy, I said his name a bunch of times, a bad Akanda. He was gashing them. Okay. But they've changed. They've evolved. And that's what a good yeah. football team does. We saw it. We've seen it over the years. We saw it in 2019 with LSU where the defense just got better over the year. And that's what Tennessee has done. Like, honestly, this is a good enough defense to win with that offense. You don't need Agreed. to be 2021 Georgia. If you have that offense, I will eat crow. If Georgia wins this game, I will. Mm-hmm. I'll do a little victory lap if Tennessee wins. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of times I've had a double and triple and quadruple down on this take, uh, it's been a long time coming. And I got a lot of Georgia fans in my life that'll probably be texting me throughout this game. Like anytime Georgia takes a lead, and be like, ah, you feeling how you feeling? <laughs> That's okay. I welcome all of it. And look, I think Georgia's a great football team. I really do. Um, but I just, this, this is starting to feel like, like Tennessee is is on that path. It absolutely is. I love the uh, when you hit do not disturb on your phone. I don't know if you do that. When you hit do not disturb and your buddies are flaming. When your buddies are flaming your team after you hit do not disturb and they'll do deliver anyway. And it like pops up even <laughs> louder on your phone. And it's like, I know the same. It's like I'm trying to do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. and, and for what it's worth, again, I don't have a dog in the fight. I got a take in the fight. And that's very different. Right. And I do Stronger, feel a little bit Some vindicated. would say a bear in the fight. <laughs> some would say. Yeah, I feel vindicated. All right. You know, it's at least a conversation. Okay. Even if Tennessee doesn't end up beating Georgia, but it's going to be awesome. Cannot wait for 330 on CBS. The night game, number six, Alabama, 13 point favorite, number 10, LSU. The over under, I have one and a half reminders of Brian Kelly's struggles against Alabama. <laughs> for what it's worth, if LSU loses this game, it won't be because Brian Kelly will just never beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. He's faced him twice 
Alabama had the better team both times. And the two teams that that beat Kelly was the 13 and one team in 2012, who only lost to Johnny Manziel playing out of his mind. And then there was the 2020 team who was 13 and 0, who throttled everybody not named Florida. All right. Mm-hmm. So to me, like if you're going to hold that against him, if that's your big knock against Brian Kelly, not great. Having said that, this would be, in my opinion, the biggest win of Brian Kelly's career if he can get it. If he mm-hmm. could get it somehow, some way, you would essentially be eliminating Bama from from the playoff discussion and exercising those Bama demons in, you know, doing that home stretch of the recruiting cycle. Mm-hmm. You would just create pure pandemonium in year one at LSU, which we did not think was possible a month ago with the way that this team was looking. Mm-hmm. Handing Bama a second loss, man, it, it is next to impossible because, as we know, the only time that happened in the last decade was. After Tua got hurt, Mac Jones had the two pick sixes, 2019 Iron Bowl. And I realized it happened in 2010 as well, but that's why I said the last decade. Also, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly, 290 career wins as a, as a head coach at the college level, including his days at Grand Valley State. Who could forget? Not me. Only one of those wins came against an AP Top 5 team. Mm-hmm. And it was a game that Notre Dame beat a Trevor Lawrence-less Clemson team in the COVID season, which ended with everyone debating Notre Dame's field rush because it was during COVID. So just imagine Brian Kelly. They had the Lord on their side. Look, the touchdown Jesus was breathing life into them. They all ended up fine. Yeah, for the last couple of decades, touchdown <laughs> Jesus has been taking a nap. But, you know, for that day, yeah, bless them. Yeah, there you go. Imagine Kelly just sitting there soaking in an LSU field rush to beat Bama. Just imagine. Mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels slinging it. Kayshawn Booty catching passes all over the field. It's just like 2021 all over again. Harold Perkins chasing down Bryce Young. Alabama can't stop committing penalties. LSU pulls out a win. Baton Rouge is a scene. Just imagine that. Brother, what do you think I've been doing for a week and a half? (laughs) Oh, wow. What a radical thought I've never had. Thanks. I can't see it happening. I can't. I think now is when Bama looks scarier than ever. In a game that LSU has only won four times in Death Valley since the Richard Nixon administration, who could forget? Mm -hmm. Who could forget? I can't pick against Saban coming off a bye. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I worry about Jaden Daniels reverting back to some of his old habits when he sees that cheetah package with Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell on the field together, which again, cheetah package, but it's basically cheating. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. <laughs> I fear that two weeks of seeing the best version of Jaden Daniels gives that defensive staff of Alabama a chance to see exactly what they need to avoid. And I also fear that Alabama is about to show an element that we haven't seen all year that makes everybody kind of step back and go, oh, crap. Tyler Harrell's back. Remember Tyler Harrell? The guy who averaged 29 yards catch at Louisville last year? Lightning quick. Played six snaps against Mississippi State after missing the entire first half of the season. And now I just have a feeling that a mostly healthy Bryce Young is going to call his number a couple of times on back-breaking plays. And that's the difference in this one. I think unlike last year when Alabama's offensive line basically puked on its own shoes, I think they give Bryce a little bit of time. I think they create some running lanes for Jameer Gibbs. I've got Bama winning 35 to 14. And I know that could absolutely blow up in my face because true road game since the start of 2021, Bama has been in a one score game in the fourth quarter, six out of seven times. But I'll say that Bama comes out firing. Talk about 21, nothing lead. I think Bama gets out to a 21, nothing lead. LSU makes it a one score game. And then Bama pushes away in the fourth quarter. Did I burst your bubble? Will? No, I mean, I think, uh, I think I'm I'm close to on your page. Let me take a step back really quick here. So basically, 
Tennessee obviously hasn't been good for a minute. So this is like the first weekend I remember where the East and the West are essentially going to be divided, like decided on the same weekend. You know what no, I'm saying? That's, because... that's, no, that's happened. Um, that happened. Tw- when did that happen? 2019 it happened. No, not 2019 because Georgia was against Mizzou that weekend. But it happened like within the last five years where there was like a division championship weekend. Might okay. have even been, was it 2020? Because I was going to say, Georgia, Florida usually play in like October. So it's like pretty hard to like in October be like, oh, well, this team now has to win right. out. But this is like more or less for all the marbles because it's like, you know, they're, if even if LSU wins this game, they would have to go one and two down the stretch to not win the West, which, you know, and then Bama, obviously, if they win this game, you know, they got to beat Ole Miss. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. they will. But point being, um, <laughs> if you, you know, from my last rant, I'm sure you could see that. But point being, um, yeah, I think that so both of these lines, I feel a little bit disrespectful. I want to wait till we got through Alabama to talk mm-hmm. about that. But eight points for Georgia, like based on everything that we've seen out of Tennessee, feels like free money. Maybe Georgia, like you said, will jump all over them, but that's a little bit weird. And then, yeah, I mean, same one here, man. You, you have minus 13 here. That's the lowest it's gotten. Uh, I've seen it 13 and a half, 14. That just also feels a little bit disrespectful, although you are predicting that. And I understand that could happen. And we've seen it. That's I'm very candid about this rivalry because people want to act like, oh, they both got the bye week because it's a huge game. LSU barely ever beat Bama. You know what I'm saying? And 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 the times that this happened have been some of the happiest days of my life. I'm not gonna, you know, not gonna I'm not gonna be like, oh, this doesn't matter. It's more of a, a feeling of acceptance that this is the reality I live in. Um, that being said, I think Bama probably wins a close game. Um, I will say that the stat about the uh the road games gives me lots of hope. I mean, I think you know, a, a very bad AM team the last two years and a bad Texas team without Quinn Ewers, mind you, because if Quinn Ewers plays that game. Texas wins that game. I don't care what you guys say. You see how Quinn Ewers has played and how he was playing in that game. Texas would have beat Alabama on the road. So I think that that's the best thing LSU has going for them. Obviously, they have the um, the same or they don't have the same defensive staff as last year. Some would argue the defensive staff is better this year. But for whatever reason, Durante Jones just maybe they had like a uh, I don't know if you've been following this UCF story where they think a GA gave out their playbook. But maybe maybe Durante Jones just had a random uh, Alabama playbook last year because that's all I could really tell you why LSU played that well last year. Maybe O'Brien really is just horrible on the road. I don't know. But I think I think uh, Bama wins this one late as they often do. What they like to do is give me hope throughout the game and then you know there's a penalty or a turnover or Patrick Peterson's foot is in bounds and they call it out of bounds and then the Alabama wins in the end it's very like the bad Bama games you always can tell are going to be bad very early um but, <laughs> but yeah I think I think this is like you said man it's you know this is an LSU team but I made this point over and over again that does not have a roster very different from the one that Gus left at Auburn and the one that um Mullen left at Florida hmm. Brian Kelly has brought in lots of pieces that have looked very good and shiny. Booty is fine, but if you think he's been even like a top 30 receiver in the college in the in the country, I don't know what you're watching. He's just not been on the same page as Daniels. So the guys that we're happy about are Daniels, who was a transfer, Perkins, who was a freshman that Brian Kelly kind of reeled in. Sure. And then there were just some guys. And it's like, I'm, I don't want to like discredit any of the LSU guys. I know guys are like jump all over me for that. But the guys that have been true difference makers between this year and last year have either been like some newer guys. You talk about uh, Bernard Converse, the transfer, the whole defensive backfield of transfers. You know what I'm saying? So point being like, they just, at this point, like I don't think they have the talent to keep up with that Alabama team. Now, mind you, Alabama plays way down below their talent at this point. And Georgia kind of does that too. But it's like, if you have, you know, we've talked about it. Like, if you have all these five-star receivers, why can't they get open? But your boy Tyler, Tyler Harrell, not Tyler Harrow, different guy. Um, Tyler Harrell, yeah. Not Tyler Harrell, no. Um, but yeah, different. But yeah, like he he is going to be a new weapon that Saban has. Uh, Jojo Earl is starting to get a little bit healthy. So there's like two speedier guys. Um, Earl kind of, I, I expected big things out of him. Hopefully he has a breakout game sometime soon. Um, 
got from Louisiana. But anyway, so point being, I, I just think that the talent difference is a little bit too much for Bama. But I think if you're Kelly, you know, you talked about the top five wins. You talked about all that. Well, going into this year, you know, it was Kelly can't win in the SEC. Kelly can't beat top 10 teams. Da, da, da. Kelly can't handle the pressure at LSU. And after that week one that went as badly as pretty much imaginable and another Tennessee game that we've joked about pretty much was a beat down uh, a la Coach O. Uh, he is really, really rally the troops. And I think he's in a position with the way they're recruiting to eventually beat Alabama, which is all you can really hope for if you're not the style of team that just gets hot. So I think that what we've seen out of this year, even a beat down against Alabama wouldn't really downtrodden your hopes for LSU because reinforcements are coming. And you have seen, we've talked about this, like me and my like LSU group. It's like, when was the last time LSU truly had a team, take out 2019, that got better as the year went on? Because yeah. usually no, they fair. start off and they're like who they are. And it's like, oh, this is who we are this year. We can't throw the ball. Alabama exposes them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And so that's one thing I've noticed with Kelly is that he is – the team is getting better over time. And so with a couple of years in the system, I think they can compete with Alabama. Just not in year one. Yeah, year one is – that's a tough ask. And mm-hmm. I think that if if you're an LSU fan, that this game is treated like this would be absolute gravy. Above <laughs> all else, this would be – the the ultimate way to show that Brian Kelly knows what he's doing and that he's got this thing figured out and he's going to be just fine and all this thing about culture fit and this and that this would be an unbelievable thing to do in year one though like I said I don't expect it mm-hmm. okay we got five other games that we still got to get to here Florida Texas A&M A&M's a three and a half point favorite the over under I have two references to bowl eligibility oh boy yeah neither one of these fan bases are going to want to hear it but Lose this game and yikes, those bowl chances take a massive, massive hit. If AM loses, it would have to win out with games at Auburn against UMass. Again, they're winning at UMass. They're going to win against UMass and then home against LSU. If Florida loses, Gators would need two out of three against South Carolina at home, you're at Vandy, and you're at Florida State. So, again, like not a given there with South Carolina and Florida State. Let's mm-hmm. not forget, I know we make our jokes about the Birmingham Bowl. Starting this year, this is key. The SEC and the Big Ten rotate with the Las Vegas Bowl. This year, SEC's got the slot. And Florida fans know very well that a trip to the Gasparilla Bowl means an excuse to go to Tampa for a few days right around Christmas. These are not bad places to be, okay? They're a little bit different. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Di- I'm not trying to hate on Birmingham. Had great times in Birmingham. But I'm just saying, if you're a person that's been there many a time and you want to go somewhere tropical or where you could just gamble your face off, you know, they have that. As a Birmingham resident, I would easily take Las Vegas and even Tampa. I'll say it. Listen, I live there. (laughs) Fair, right? I don't think we're disrespecting the the great city of Birmingham by saying that. Alternatively, we could see A&M earn a trip to the Vegas Bowl and then A&M boosters have half of the buyout money, so like $43 million, and then they could let it ride on black to cover the other half of Jimbo's buyout. So getting to the Las Vegas Bowl could actually blow up in Jimbo's face, potentially. Mm-hmm. We'll wait and see about that. If this were the um, if this were a bowl game, it would be the absent five stars. Um, I don't know, come up with some random Kia Bowl or something like that. Yeah, because we know Brenton Cox kicked off the team after the Georgia game. Weird development for the five star transfer from Georgia. Not great for a very thin defensive front to begin with. AM still going to be without suspended five-star true freshman Chris Marshall, Denver Harris. The good news for the Aggies, most important five-star, Connor Wigman, he's going to be out there. I think AM, oh, yeah. I think they come out strong in this one. I do. It's funny because in the preseason, I said that Florida would win this and it would kind of feel like a nice I've arrived moment for Billy Napier after getting humbled by Georgia. 
I just really worry about that defensive line depth coming off the George game. I think AJ busts loose a couple of long touchdown runs in this one. I don't have a lot of faith yet in Billy Napier making in-game adjustments. I don't. You know what I would really like to see in this one, but I don't think we will. A week after Lane said, screw it. We're going to throw out the game plan. We're going to give our true freshman, Quinshawn Judkins, we're going to give him 30-plus carries because AM can't stop him, and we see mm-hmm. that. I'd love for Billy Napier to say, screw it. We're going to give the ball to our true freshman, Trevor Etienne. We're going to yep. give it to him 25 times. AM, let's see if you can stop it. Aggies allowed 235 rushing yards per game in the month of October. Only one Power 5 team was worse. Any guesses, Will? Um, you said the rushing yards now? AM, month of October, yes. 235 rushing yards per game they allowed. Man, see, the cheat code would be Arkansas State, but they're not power five. Um, oh, man, I feel like we just – I'm close. What? What is it? It's Auburn. Of course it's Auburn. <laughs> Sorry, I would not have guessed that. Never mind. Okay. Yes, yes, 300 rushing yards game, Auburn allowed in the month of October. Not great. I don't man. think Napier does that, though. I don't. And I think – I get it. He still likes Montreal Johnson. This guy brought with him from Louisiana – I just think that ETN has that explosiveness, the explosiveness that Florida kind of needs right now. I'm going to take AM to stop the bleeding, win by a touchdown at home very, very reluctantly. I feel like it's been a minute since I picked AM to win a football game. Am I crazy for doing that? Um, no, not at all. I think this game is going to be just such a great appetizer for the rest of the day. You know what I'm saying? This is easily nice the sicko. Yes, yeah. easily the sickos game of the week. Easily. I love that you told me we were running low on time right before we did a Florida AM preview because you knew the slander would be abounding. Very smart move by you. Um, no, but I actually think Florida's gonna win this one. Um, I think that AM is lacking in creativity. I think that one thing about maybe Billy Napier isn't that creative, but we know Anthony Richardson is. Um, that Georgia game went almost exactly as we talked about. You know, Anthony Richardson had some moments and overall Georgia won. Um, the thing is, AM is not Georgia. I don't I don't think they have the ability to consistently really do much of anything. And with a freshman quarterback that can make the argument is their best quarterback he is still a freshman um and i think that it's at home for the aggies which i understand and that's probably part of the reason why the line's exactly three and a half but i i i just i think that i i i just i at some level like the Billy being some kind of an offensive, like, i hate to say guru because that's overplayed but understanding kind of modern offense against a team that cannot use its talent effectively and is kind of like has all these issues guys you know getting like suspended and all that stuff like it feels like this is like a great rally together moment for florida who like we said had a great third quarter last week think yep and AM already it feels like kind of had that last week but they didn't win which is like always a big deal in my man in my mind that it's like if you have that game that like you kind of show the haters off and then you end up losing it's like ah like we talked about that a little bit with the zoo it's like with georgia it's like oh like i want to give you guys so much credit but you ended up losing so now how does that affect your psyche as a team so yeah i i think that this is i i hate to say it but i i think i agree with your original one that this is a game that florida starts to get vertical AM looks confused their offense looks at a sink like they did against south carolina and I, i'm gonna give this one to the gators there's a chance that florida could finish the year four consecutive wins a lot of momentum going into a bowl game that sets mm-hmm. up with that schedule i'm not saying that's going to happen i i still think from a defensive standpoint they're very much liability week to week, but there is still that path to be able to do that. This season could go any which way. If they went five and seven, if they somehow got to eight wins in the regular season and they're playing in an Outback Bowl or in a Citrus Bowl or something like that, then that is that is still on the table for them. But I think this is going to be a little bit of a difficult challenge as long as AM commits to the run 
and is willing to give Devon Chain, who has got to be getting pretty tired at this point. And yeah, as long yeah. as they're willing to give him that work, I think that Florida makes maybe one or two too many mistakes on the road to be able to win this one. But yes, this very is, much this a is going to be. Game. This is going to be a big TV game. I told you I had another TV. So now I have like three TVs that I can watch all the games on. This Did is you? going to be a big TV game because there are so many elements of this that are going to be so funny. And this is one of the few that either side losing is a little bit slanderable because to your point, Florida then has to like really kick it in gear to make a bowl game. Jimbo, it's obvious why we would slander him for losing this game. Not even to waste time on that. But point being, the point that you just made up, imagining that Florida defense trying to tackle A-Chain is something that I wish, Yikes. like you got to just throw on that Benny Hill music in the background and just have him dancing back and forth because as bad as they are at creating space for him, <laughs> the AM defense, or sorry, the Florida defense is like that episode of SpongeBob where Plankton's trying to teach him how to be assertive. And he's like, No, you can't have my ice cream. Now let him have it. And he's like, Here, you can have it. And like, that's them giving out yards. They're just like, Here you go, you can have it. And so you don't really need to be a, a genius scheme to run the ball against. Florida. Um, so I think it's going to be a very fun game. I'm like psyched out of my mind for this game. And then we get into like the real like championship games. It's like, I got to be serious and like pay attention. This is going to be fun. This is, there's a possibility this one turns into like a 42 35 type game. That's just back oh, and yeah. forth of like, Oh yeah. These defenses have kind of checked out at this point and <laughs> they're working from home. Really, yeah. <laughs> ends up being really, really good. I don't think it has it just meant more potential, but I'm, I'm just saying it, it has one of those, it could be one of those games where you're like locked in for the last hour of it, just living and dying with every play. Definitely think that's on the table. Liberty, Arkansas, Arkansas is a 13 and a half point favorite. The over under, I have nine references to Auburn twofold. The Auburn slander it's back. folks. Yeah, there's a little bit more. You've got the fact that Arkansas whipped Auburn last week, plenty of highlights from that game, at least offensively. You've also got the Hugh freeze angle. Not a coincidence that uh, he just signed eight-year fully guaranteed deal worth north of $40 million. And if you're saying, well, that means he's off limits for Auburn, I would push back on that and say, well, we don't know what it would cost Auburn to buy him out of that deal. If it's like 8 million bucks, drop in the bucket. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine with all the leverage that Freeze had to be able to negotiate that deal, that it's like $30 million to buy him out of that contract that Auburn would have to pay, in which case... Breeze is kind of shooting himself in the foot and saying that he wants to just be at Liberty forever, which maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. This is quietly an excellent matchup. Really, really good matchup. Liberty just cracked the AP top 25. Mm-hmm. Seven and one. Seven and one. Only loss by a point. Wake Forest game where they should have had the two-point conversion to win it. Came up short. Pretty impressive, though, after replacing arguably the greatest quarterback in college football history and current Tennessee Titans starter Willie Willis. Some mm-hmm. people are saying. I would say. Even more impressive, they have done this seven and one, yeah, seven and one, eight and one, something like that. Uh, they've done it with three different starting quarterbacks. They've had injuries. Jonathan Bennett started in the win against BYU. They smacked BYU just like Arkansas did, and he is expected to be the starter against Arkansas. But they've also got former Baylor, former Utah quarterback Charlie Brewer, who returned last week. He had a broken hand, and then he got limited reps. That's going to be the plan again. And then remember the name, Caden Salter. Early enrollee, four-star guy at Tennessee last year, was recruited by the Pruitt staff and then got suspended in spring ball. And then three weeks after he returned from suspension, he got arrested for having weed in his car and Heupel kicked him off the team in June. Not great. So he goes to Liberty, which he's been able to play this year as well and has had some really good moments for them. Liberty's kind of becoming second chance you for quarterbacks and I guess quarterback gurus if we want to include Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Liberty 
has actually been really effective against the run. We talk about that all the time with Arkansas. They are number 35 in the country against the run. They haven't faced anything like what they'll see with KJ and Rocket, though. Even though there's a part of me that wants to say that this will be a 60-minute game because Breeze with any quarterback with a pulse is scary, um, especially against that bad Arkansas pass defense. I think that group being healthier, Barry Odom talked about that last week. I think that prevents them from being in any sort of repeat Missouri State scenario. I don't think that plays out, which that's probably, probably not a fair comp, say Liberty, Missouri State. But if you want to make the comparison, Petrino and Freeze, all right. You can kind of see the, where, where we're going with that one. Liberty has Under your check, absolute sicko of scheduling is what that's happening. <laughs> I don't know that he scheduled that one. I got Oh, yeah, we before. talked about that. But the fact that they had like BYU, Cincinnati, Liberty, and Virginia. Like, why do you hate these kids so much? Gauntlet non-con. They could, there's no way they could have predicted that this is going to play mm-hmm. out this way. If they get out of if Arkansas gets out of this non-conference late 4 and 0, like that's actually pretty impressive, all things considered. Oh, yeah. All right. For a team that did not have to play a power five team in non-conference play, much better non-power five non-conference slate than Michigan, what they went through. Two um, future power five teams. So yes, very true. Very true. As someone who has watched a lot of Liberty last two years, I can confirm they have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Really good mm-hmm. skill players. I'll still take Arkansas to win this game by three scores, even though they've definitely been in some of those, those dog fights and non-conference play. But yeah, just think that they get done. think that they've kind of turned the corner a bit from an offensive standpoint and maybe not a total disaster defensively, a little, a little bend don't break. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. I, I love Liberty as like a um like foster's home for imaginary friends of like guys who need a second chance. Like the religious um affiliation there actually like helps them in a way because it's like, hey, you know, we'll give you a second chance here coming in. I've talked about it. Brittany's sister goes there. It's a beautiful campus. Oh, they have like incredible. an indoor ski slope. Like yeah. it makes some SEC campuses look not good. Like just to be it's crazy what they have over there, what your student ID gets you. Um, if you guys want some really good television, watch the Fallwell documentary, by the way, it's wild. But that place is like a completely like if you don't know any, that's the thing. Liberty kind of popped onto the scene as like, oh, it's like this fun place, one of the craziest places on earth. Like, definitely do some research on Liberty. But point being, the fact that they now have a, like a solid football team that's been what I guess ranked now two years in a row, um, yeah. with Hugh Freeze. I hope I hope he stays there forever, man. I really do. He talked about cultural fits. That guy is a great cultural fit at Liberty. Um, I'm saying that not sarcastically. I think that he is a guy who loves giving people second chances. I think he's a guy who obviously needed one himself. And I think that I think he's a great coach. I've always thought he was a great coach. He beat Alabama twice. How many living humans can say they beat Nick Saban twice? Like True. three or four. <laughs> so like point being, maybe that not that, maybe like five, but point being like, that's crazy, man. And so I'm, I'm supportive of them, but yeah, to your point, I think Arkansas remains the uh, power five defender and they go out there and take care of business against Liberty. But again, another coach that can just get scary with you a little bit. You just go, you you show up and they have a rocket launcher. You're like, I thought this was a fist fight. How did we get here? <laughs> yeah. Ole Miss actually played really well against, against Malik last year. And yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their offensive line was, was a bit of a disaster and they kind mm-hmm. of struggled with that, but yeah, maybe that maybe that's burned a little bit too much my brain. And Arkansas is going to be in like a, a three point game in the fourth quarter or something like that. I'm not going to say that's impossible, but I do think that Hogs have Hogs have shown some really promising signs oh, yeah. these last two weeks away from home. It would make Auburn look very bad if Liberty was in the close game with it. Anyway, just it would it would just up Hugh Freeze's price that much more. <laughs> yeah, it's like so y'all want, okay, do. okay. Yeah, it's another job <laughs> audition. That's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Kentucky two and a half point favorite at Mizzou. The over under I have is 27 Kentucky points. Why 27 points, you ask? Because it's hard for them to do that, Connor? Yes, it is, Will. Yes, it mm. is. Their season high in SEC play this year, 27 points. What has Mizzou not done in SEC play? 
allow 27 points. Most they've allowed 26. It's my new uh, favorite phrase. It's the nothing's got to give matchup. Oh, yes. I love that. Oh, <laughs> Trademark <gosh>. pending. <laughs> this is a bad matchup for Kentucky. It really is. I, Mizzou defensive line, they eat. They are really, really good. Vastly mm-hmm. improved. I'm going to continue to give them praise because I don't think anybody else really is nationally at this point, but they are an excellent, excellent unit up front. Will, our running joke last year was how horrendous that group was against the run. Do you know what they're mm-hmm. ranked against the run this year nationally? Uh, is it top 20? 27th. That's really, I mean, considering who they played, like they played Georgia, yeah. like they played like some good teams. Yeah. Play Georgia too. I mean, yeah. I'm Kansas state and got trucked by Adrian Martinez, Deuce Vaughn, and still to be at 27th in the country, they'd be even better if they didn't have that day as well. Honestly, oh. that one's looking better too. That's a pretty good team. That's pretty good. Yeah. I only an idiot would say that they were going to go into Manhattan and win that game. What a moron. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't be me. <laughs> Literally me. Also, on top of that, really good against the run, 27th against or 28th against the pass. They've only allowed six passing touchdowns all year, tied for third in America. Very good. If I'm a group of five team, like Charlotte or something like that, I'm going after one of these young DCs. There's a couple in the SEC between Blake Baker, Zach Garnett. That would be the direction I would want to go. Get some, get one of these thirty-something defensive minds that have the 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 ability to be able to kind of defend these modern offenses, and just say, Matt right, House, oh. he's having fun. He has his favorite movie on. Leave him alone." <laughs> I don't think Matt House is a group. I don't. I don't think, given the places that he's been, that he yeah, wants the group of five grind in the same sort of way. Different kind of grind. <laughs> Different for for every coach, obviously. But I'd be surprised. But I think that would make a lot of sense for them. So, what does Blake Baker dial up against Kentucky? As strange as it sounds, I think you can get home with four. That that Kentucky offensive line is bad. It just is. You get Levis behind the sticks. He starts forcing throws, trying to win the game with one play. I think the only way that Kentucky wins this game, which is a weird thing to say, and I would not have said this a few weeks ago, but I think the only way Kentucky wins this game is if they get a non-offensive touchdown, maybe a return from Barry and Brown, something like that, or they score a defensive touchdown. Like, it's still Brady Cook, so that's on the table. We never take. <laughs> you that know off. exactly what's on the Brady Cook table. He's yeah. not cooking anything. He's <laughs> not. That opportunity could present itself. Very well could. But I'm going to take Mizzou to win outright. I will. I I think this matchup at the line of scrimmage forces some Kentucky turnovers. We see short fields, and I, I think Mizzou wins like a 21 to 14 rock fight. Which, gosh, I I wouldn't have said that a week ago. I wouldn't have. <laughs> so we've made um. We've made, you know, some comments. I won't say jokes or anything, but some comments about Kentucky's offensive line. I was like looking Jets. at my phone for a stat. Some, there you go. Some just some careful little boops to Kentucky's offensive yeah. line. Just keep kind of like we do with Missouri's defense. And look at what happened. We bullied them into being great. We so, did. Good so basically, there's my buddy that's a Kentucky fan that I always talk about that is like great at these advanced stats at me that Kentucky is the worst offensive line unit in the power five by pff grade they are 66 out of 66 they're bad man they're like not like when you think bad like sorry like last out of 66 in the power five which means you're behind several group of five teams as well probably it's pretty bad um so yeah it's it's shocking man because like this was one of those seasons that we were both really rooting for them and we kind of was like ah they, they just got to put it all together when Seahawks gets back and we got to will it. And it's just never been. And it's just this weird convoluted season that they're going to have to look back at and be like, you know, I mean, what things have been different without the suspension, what things have been different without that fumble against Ole Miss, we never know. But one thing that you're that you're hitting on is that, you know, luckily they have that, what was he, a five-star offensive tackle they uh, recruited. Um, he going to play. 
<laughs> because one. he yeah like like you they need help so again they had a pretty solid recruiting class last year help is coming and this is the one thing that stoops is like legendary at sure. he's had like he had a guy in the saints that came out undrafted last year played really well for them in camps and stuff and so point being like he's good at fixing off if there's one thing i could give mark stoops to fix it would be offensive lines but on the other side Probably. of that i hate to say this is a lost season but it's so disappointing with will levis that's in, in, in honestly Kentucky has had some really, really good quarterbacks. Listen, I'm not an Andre Woodson forgetter. I think he was awesome. Uh, they talked about, you know, Crouch and all them. Is it Wait, it's Couch, not Crouch, right? There you go. Crouch, Kim Nebraska, Couch, Couch Kentucky. There you there go. go. That's confusing. They played at the same time. Yeah, they, were basically, they were basically playing before you were born because you're like 22 yes. years old. Yes, exactly. And so, so <laughs> 22. Anyway, so, but, but, you know, they have to have the, like, I'm not saying that he's the best quarterback they've ever had. Hear me there. Like, he's... In at least the tier one, I feel, which for Kentucky, they've been very blessed with some good quarterbacks. But point being, you have this guy that had all this, this NFL potential. And we talked about it in the preview pod, and then I, that's probably the wrongest they've been all year. I was like, oh, this will be, hopefully this will be a come out for Will Levis, brother, <laughs> was it? And so, yeah, point being, I mean, they just haven't done enough to get him in positions to succeed. And it's just very sad that they have this great running back. You know, they have this great receiver now, our boy Dinky. They have Will Levis. And it's like, you guys were better when you all had Terry Wilson, like, how'd y'all do this? And the frustrating thing is that, you know, like, and I'm not going to say like, well, that, that, that Will is just, you know, and I'm referring to Will Levis, not Will you. Not me. Um, I'm not going to say that he's just like, that he doesn't deserve any sort of blame because he absolutely does. And he's, mm-hmm. he's made some, some bad decisions. We've talked about those decisions, but you talk about when you have a bad offensive line, that's allowing pressure to get home with four and what that means for a defense and what they try and do to you, you're throwing windows are smaller. They, they are just smaller. And I think part of that is too, I think Rich Rich Scangarello, I don't know if there'd be a lot of Kentucky fans who'd be sad to see him go. I don't. I, I think his predecessor, much better looking dude, uh, many are saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Liam Cohen's got his work cut out for him with the Rams right now. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that what, what we're kind of seeing play out is like, you can have you can have the scheme, you can do all these different things, and that's great, but you still need that trenches play. You absolutely still need it with this team. And that's what they built their identity on. And it hasn't been there. And it has cost them. It absolutely has. And it does feel like a little bit of a lost season for them. And they will look back and be like, man, we had this piece in place, this piece in place. And the defense is still playing its tail off. And I still think doing a lot of really good things. But man, when you miss that element, it really shows. And it has really shown for this team. And it's that issue has been magnified greater than I would have anticipated even talking about this last month. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, when you have a quarterback that has his biggest flaw is turnovers, you need to give him exactly the opposite of what Kentucky has given him, right? You need to have a good offensive line. You need an offensive coordinator that makes things easy for him. We talked about that with Hooker in Tennessee. And, like, I have, like, this whole theory about the NFL right now. Everybody's running the system. I've talked about it a bunch in the pod, the, the Shanahan-McVay system. And there's, like, no good quarterback and no good quarterback play in the NFL right now. There's, like, two or three elite quarterbacks. And everybody else is, like, mid. Defense is caught up. Um, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you're getting guys who are coming from these college systems that make things easy for the quarterbacks and they go to the NFL and it's like, you guys all got to run the same offense and every defense knows what's coming every play. And so point being like, well, you could think that an NFL system would help his development. What he needs is like, I hate to say confidence because he he does have confidence and he does have like big throws, but it's like, in college, you need to shield that part of his game and get him to the NFL where they help him with that. You don't need to fix his turnover problem in college when you're Kentucky and you need him to do all these things. And so it's just, I feel like it sounds mean, but it feels like they've let him down in a way, um, you know, because if they just had an average line and maybe a little bit easier of a system, he would look great. But now, like, hey, would you, like, 
Would you draft him after what you saw last week? Yeah, like, no, lots I mean, of questions. Th- he's still going to be. He's still going to be one of uh, one of the first quarterbacks off the board. I still no, I know. I'm not saying they tanked the stock. I'm just saying that preseason to now is like a different player almost. And I would, I would then make the argument if he stays at Penn State, he never even sniffs the CFLs because they were using yeah. him like he was a tailback. Like he was <laughs> sure were. So, wow, that feels yeah. like like five years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. So Kentucky, I wouldn't say that Kentucky has failed him totally in that regard, and he is still going to have, in my opinion, a chance to be able to make it in the NFL. What his oh, stock yeah. looks like after this year, we'll kind of we'll kind of wait and see. This would be a huge bounce back game for him, though, given the mismatch that we've already kind of outlined and what we could expect to see from that Mizzou front, which has been really, really, really rock solid. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the game of the week. South Carolina, seven and a half, no, seven point favorite against Vandy. Over under two Jaheim Bell catches. It's been bad. It's been bad. I'm going to read you Jaheim Bell's game log for catches this year. Georgia State, four catches, 18 yards. At Arkansas, zero catches. Versus Georgia, one catch, 46 yards. Charlotte, two catches, nine yards. South Carolina State, two catches, 48 yards. Big day. At Kentucky, two catches, 16 yards. Home against AM, two catches, 20 yards. Mizzou last week, zero catches. He played nine freaking snaps. He's your best offensive player. Best Why do you think that, player. Connor? Is it because every time he touches the ball, he's awesome every time? Gosh, listening to Marcus Satterfield, I look, I, I feel for you, South Carolina fans. Listening to Marcus Satterfield talk about this guy, talk about Jaheim Bell each and every midweek thing and talk about he's one of my favorite players ever. Like my guy Brad Crawford brought this up. Satterfield said last week that Bell was one of the most talented players I've seen in my life. And then he gets zero targets and plays nine snaps against Mizzou. And he's talking about personnel packages. My other guy, Ben Portnoy, he asked Beamer about, about Bell's role and why personnel issues have prevented him from getting on the field because he's been healthy. And somehow he has only received 148 offensive snaps this year. He does snaps even, now, not touches, which snaps. he would deserve snaps. He doesn't. If you look up tight ends, you have to get rid of the snap minimum requirement on PFF for him. That's how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Beamer's answer to that question, by the way, 588 words. Clocked in at 3 minutes, 17 seconds. Really insightful, actually, if you want to read all of it. But the basic mm-hmm. thing that I took away from it was Beamer recognizes this is a major problem. And he takes responsibility for it because he's the head coach and because he's an adult. And also basically said that Satterfield is wildly overthinking this. Yeah, very much so. Shout out to Dex Kendall, Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. He did a massive deep dive on the South Carolina offensive issues and mentioned the, the Bell stuff, how Satterfield continues to praise him all week and then just doesn't use him inexplicably. And I also hate this year for DK Joyner, a guy that was one of my all bang the drum team guys, a guy that I was admittedly rooting for. Love talking with him at SEC Media Days. One of these guys that like throwback type of player, in my opinion, the way that he has stayed there. He... Brad and I have texted about this a few times during the year. He has two touches for two yards. He's basically just playing on special teams. That's it. Mm-hmm. He shared on IG the video the other day of Elijah Moore saying that he can't really have a rapport with Zach Wilson if he never gets the ball. So most times we talk about that. I hate seeing those things on social media because most times that's coming from like a freshman or a sophomore. And you're like, all right, man, what have you really done? You haven't made this. But if I'm joiner, I'm pissed, man. Like I changed. Does he have a pass to delete everything off of his Instagram? I would put out cryptic tweets. I would. For there are very few guys that I would say that's fine. I I would get it from his standpoint. (laughs) I really would. The guy changed positions for you. He Mm -hmm. stayed two different times. He stayed through the Will Muschamp era. Come on. (laughs) 
He yeah. stayed through all that. This isn't a charity. I get that. This is big time college football. This is the SEC. We're not just giving playing time to everybody who deserves it. But like, did, does he just lose all of his ability that we saw in the Mayo Bowl? Does he just like not practice anymore? He's healthy. I, mm-hmm. Same thing with Jaheim Bell. Like we see, we saw this game in the Mayo Bowl and we were supposed to be like, wow, the future is going to be so bright for this South Carolina offense. Look what they're doing, Marcus Satterfield. And instead, it looks like Satterfield is doing everything that's possible. Be like, oh, that game plan, we're throwing that out. That sucked. Mm-hmm. We don't want any part of that. And now against the Vandy team who can defend the pass um, not well at all is horrible, horrible defending the pass. I wonder if Satterfield is going to have Rattler trying to throw the ball 35 times, even though he hasn't shown that he can do that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Vandy to cover. I'm taking South Carolina to win a three-point game because I have zero faith in this offense because all of that midweek talk, it just goes out the window every Saturday, and it doesn't matter. And you could tell me I would literally adopt this kid, and I would still be like, all right, so he's going to be on the field for what, 11 snaps, one touch? I'm going to hand it off to him? That's Marcus Satterfield right now. Frustrates. Yeah. No, I'm I'm right there with you. Another Shanahan guy. But like, yeah, point being, <laughs> you see my vendetta, you see the agenda. But yeah, like point being, like, I'm right there with you. I love it when like offensive coordinators are just like, we just need to get the guy involved. It's like my brother and Grish, you yeah, are the offensive job. coordinator. Oh. It's literally your job. You get paid my tax dollars. I mean, not in South Carolina, but gosh, I guess Kirby gets my tax dollars. Anyway, you get paid somebody's tax dollars to, to like call an offense. It's like, I want a refund. I'm writing you off, buddy. Like, come on. Oh, 17 nothing. What are you doing? You can't tell me, oh, we got to get this guy out of here. We got to get this guy out of here. No, that's not the way this works, man. You get your best players in the football field. You get mm-hmm. your best players said football. That's the way this works, man. That's the way this works. Especially in a game where Marshawn Lloyd's like not even healthy and he's not even out there. Yep. Like, you still can't get Jaheim Bell the football? What are you doing? It's terrible. Awful. Yeah. I think, and we saw a great example of that. Okay. A couple of, so Dan Mullen did this really freaking well. I will give him credit with Tony and um, uh, Trayvon Grimes. No, 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 no. Uh, Tony Pitts. and the other Kyle, not Trask, but the Titans for the no, yeah, Tal Pitts. There we go. He had those two guys, and he was just like, "Hey, we're giving you guys the ball, pretty much. So just get open." And like it, it they would just find a way to get these guys involved because they were dynamic game breakers. And that offense in 2020 was lethal for that reason. And if you shut down those two guys, they struggled. And like South Carolina hasn't even identified the two guys they need to get you to shut down. Like they're, they're just so like, bad. okay, don't worry, we will shut them down for you. You need to defend Stogner, actually. <laughs> And look, like, Stogner's a fine player. He he's is. He's good, yeah. Like, not dumping on him, but he's not that fast. Come on now. You can't sit here and tell me all offseason and every midweek thing, like, you're going to talk about 12 personnel and all these different things that you're going to do and how versatile Jaheim Bell is, and then put him out there for nine snaps in mm-hmm. a game that you lose and you can't score any points. That's on you. <laughs> I mean, Marcus Hadfield, his, his days are numbered. Again, get the resume ready. Indeed, great site. Get everything figured Future out. Future guest columnist on SDS, perhaps. Marcus hey, Satterfield. Maybe. Come we'll on see. over. We'd love to have you. Look, nice dude. Nice dude. Just mm-hmm. don't really like his vibe this year. I don't. I think he kind of sucks. And I think this game ends up being a dogfight. Andy does not get its first SEC win of the 2020s, though. South Carolina prevails. Maybe yeah. similar to last year. Maybe Luke Doty comes in. Who knows? Oh, actually, Luke Doty came out of that game. Zeb Nolan came in. But Come on you, now. Redemption story. You heard it here first. Maybe Zeb Nolan picking out his healthcare plan as he sits there on the <laughs> sidelines. <laughs> Ready, so coach. I, what do I need for my deductible? 7,000, 8,000? Is that too much? I don't know. I, I, I don't like to wish unemployment on people, but I think it's inevitable at this point. No, I was talking about Zeb because he's old. Just like he's like oh, out there yeah. picking out his own like because he's just getting old and that's what older that's what I'm doing right now. That's, so yeah, anyway. it happens. ARP, get signed up. Do it now. Get the magazines in the mail. 
be proactive with that stuff. Oh yeah. Auburn, Mississippi state, Mississippi state's a three and a half point favorite. No, they're a 13 and a half point favorite. I looked at that wrong. 13 and a half point favorite. They were a three and a half point favorite. My goodness gracious. What would Vegas know that we don't (laughs) the over under I have 36 Mississippi state rushing attempts. That's how many attempts they had against Arkansas. That is the most rushing attempts in a game so far for the Mike Leach led Mississippi state offense. What's the most probably say Mike Leach. I don't know when Mike Leach would have got the 36 before. That's crazy. Crazy. So I had to look this up. Of course, what's the most rushing attempts ever by a Leach coach team? Oh no. Am I about to look stupid? (laughs) No, you're not. I think, no, I think, I think you'll figure this out. It'd be in the range. Oh, that's like a question. Okay. That's a question. Um, Yeah. No, I just said that's what I thought it was. So I can't just re-guess. That was my guess. I'm not going to cheat here. Okay. Well, you're close then. 40. Mm -hmm. 40. They did 40 rushing attempts 2016 uh, when he was at Washington State against Oregon. And then the record for most rushing yards in a game by a leech coach team, same game, 280 yards against Oregon. Mm. A lot. I don't think they're going to get there. That's probably safe against Auburn. But then again, maybe it's not. Because like I said, Auburn allowed 300 rushing yards per game in the month of October. That was the worst in the country by 25 yards. Bad. Really bad. That was also when they had a head coach. Mm-hmm. Pretty telling, though, that my guy Cadillac comes in there and just wipes out all the Boise State coaches, mm-hmm. all those assistants. Like, you're gone. You're gone. You're gone. Well, remember Very Game that- of Thrones move, just like the horse house is exited. Goodbye. <laughs> I was going to say it's a, it was like a, like in heavyweights when the old camp supervisors lock up Tony Perkis and they tie Lars to the tree so they could take back Camp Hope, of course. Mm-hmm. That's like what Cadillac did essentially at Auburn. Side note, I love heavyweights, all time mm-hmm. great movie, but there is a 0.0% chance that movie gets greenlit in the year 2022. Just saying. Watch mm-hmm. that movie back and be like, ah, yeah, a lot of body shaming stuff going on here. Great movie though. Very good. Mm-hmm. The question that everyone kind of wants to know though, will Auburn players be inspired with the coaching staff or will they be like, ah, you know what? Season's over because I don't necessarily think it's a given that they just fold just because we've seen a few of these guys announce their intentions to transfer, which by the way, you can still come back and play for Auburn. If it was like, ah, if the coaching staff's going to be here, then I'm going to be gone. I'm going to find another place to play. You can still come back. They mm-hmm. haven't officially entered the portal yet. For some, this might actually be like job interview time. Let's go. Let's make yeah. this happen. Indeed profile. Get it out. Oh right? yeah. LinkedIn. What up? Alternatively, we could see Cadillac bust out the Wildcat, give Tank and Hunter 30 carries apiece, basically demand that Mississippi State stops a three-headed rushing attack if you want to include Robbie Ashford with that. Honestly, I don't hate that strategy. We're we're, we're pro-Wildcat. We are pro-Wildcat, pro-Wild Hog. Always. I think that could work against Mississippi State. But the thing that I would worry about is the Auburn defense. In Starkville, I think we really see them struggle. I, I think that... The Auburn defense to me is is in a place where they're like, ah, Mississippi State, road game, Cole Rogers gets into a rhythm. We kind of get sick of defending this. Not a whole lot of breaks for us. I think Mississippi State wins this one 41 to 24. They pull away late. I will say that if Cadillac wins this game in Starkville, I will be so fired up for him because I know how hard that guy grinds and how well-liked mm-hmm. he is. I would love it if Auburn just gave Cadillac a coaching spot in perpetuity. Just forever. Yeah. Doesn't mean he has to take it. He wants to probably advance in his career, do all those things. But just, hey, Cadillac, always got a home here, no matter who the coach is. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he stayed on from the previous coaching staff. So mm-hmm. maybe he'll be able to stay on with the next coaching staff. Not a bad move. Like, I mean, pretty smart considering 
not only how synonymous he is with the Auburn program as an all-time great, but the IMG connections, can't forget about that as well. Guy knows mm-hmm. how to recruit very, very well. Just saying, an idea for Auburn. That's the spin zone for this one. But yeah, I just can't see Auburn winning this game. Yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be an unfortunate juxtaposition of Cadillac, who we all love. You know, we're big Cadillac stands. Like, he's a guy. I mean, that was one of the one of the coolest names in football. I remember growing up being like, is his name Cadillac? Like, the car? That's crazy. Like, he's one of those guys, like, in my youth, I was all about. And he, it's going to be, like, just kind of, I think, kind of a sad uh, juxtaposition of him, who was this awesome running back whenever you talked about, you know, the undefeated Auburn team, when those teams were these hard-nosed units that, you know, Jay Ratliff and those boys, and they were like, we're not giving up an inch, you know what I'm saying? And watching them play Mississippi State and potentially have Mississippi State, Mike Lee's run all over them might be a little bit tough. And I love Auburn. I've always loved Auburn. Y'all know I was a secondary Auburn fan when I lived in Hoover just because they didn't have Nick Saban. And I went to Auburn, like, games, and I saw Cam Newton beat LSU, and I love Auburn. I have lots of friends that are Auburn fans. But it just makes me sad to think about, like, the Auburn – and you guys obviously know this better than me. Auburn teams I grew up watching were that type of team. They were this, like, hard-nosed, don't give up an inch running teams. And watching Cadillac, who was kind of the embodiment of that in the older days – you know, in this moment, which looks very different from that. Um, yeah, and then also, you know, pouring out for Derek Hall. Uh, that's a guy that he's going to be hands on the hips, probably. Uh, Poor guy. Our boy, man. That's another guy that's like, bro, if you want to declare for the draft now and start preparing, like, no yeah. one's going to hold that against you, big dog. Because it's funny because it's like, imagine how bad the rush defense would be without him. Because he's good. Like, he's like, he's like kind of that twofold guy that you can kind of trust in most situations. And so it's like, obviously, he's like an edge. But like, I, I think that, you know, the good thing about having Cadillac is that if you bought into Auburn, that is continuity. It's like, okay, well, this is the Auburn brand. We're going to get back to that. Like I said, he was a figurehead of that. Just trust us. We'll get through it. Um, Paul's another one of those guys. So Auburn, you know, they call it a family. They call it the Plains. They have like this really cool family atmosphere. So hopefully they do enough with Cadillac. And that was one of the issues that they came up with why they didn't fire Harson earlier is they didn't have a guy who they trusted. And I think it's really big of them to, you know, give Cadillac his first like head coach, like official head coaching opportunity as an interim and, and, you know, see how he does. And I think that that's cool. Not, not that they would hire him. I understand that, you know, they probably are like, we talked about going to back up the truck and everything, but I hope he stays on the staff. He's always been a really good guy for, ambassador for Auburn, but that games like this. And I saw it as an LSU fan show you, you know, the, how far the brand can really go. Cause for LSU, they were six and seven last year. I was watching a wide receiver take quarterback snaps in the bowl game. And I was like, this ain't LSU football. I feel yeah, like Auburn is true. getting there. Yeah, the, I think this one ends up being ugly for Auburn, and I don't necessarily see seeing the the bleeding stop. But if it does, again, uh, I will sit here and praise Cadillac because that is not an easy thing to to walk in there and do, given his experience and given kind of where the, the state of the program is, very much in flux right now. Okay, mm-hmm. lock of the week. We're six and three. Will six and three? How about oh, it? Yeah. I'm old enough to remember when I needed Indiana to bail me out after no one to start, just like that. <laughs> bounce back i've listen now you guys made. want to slander indiana but where was it when we needed it the most right here they were they were my get right game they were they yep. were always it was always going to be indiana as the get right game i've now nailed six out of the last seven we're going to make it seven of eight tcu nine and a half point favorite at home against texas tech the battle for west texas last three games tcu won against Texas Tech, that is. After hearing from the selection committee about playing in these close games, getting the number seven ranking, I think TCU wants to drop the hammer on Tech, who has lost three out of the last four since that Texas win with the field rush, all those different things. Max Duggan, the lads, they're slinging it. Mm -hmm. This offense, very fun to watch, can easily win this game by two touchdowns. You've got big big noon kickoff in the house. Atmosphere is going to be electric, TCU. I think TCU comes out. I think they put up a 50-burger on Tech statement to the selection <laughs> committee 
big old big old middle finger to the selection committee is coming from TCU. I hope so. love love the horny toads. Who doesn't? That's I just want to say really quick, um, we had uh, listener Kyle Sullivan hit me up and said that he was able to find Vols over six and a half points in the first quarter and 13 and a half in the first half. I don't know if I've ever Where? seen a quarter. I, I was like, what are you talk? How did you find that? Just send me the link. Yes. Um, but that is insane. If you could find that, that bad. I'm not going to give you gambling advice. Who knows how that game is going to play out? But this dude was like, hey, I should let you know. I was like, cool. Bring it up and lock it Gamble responsibly, but bet bet the house on that. I don't know. <laughs> on the Josh Heupel scripted plays, we trust. Yes, that wow, that just seems like stealing money. All right, let's kick it to Aaron Murray. I don't know when Aaron sleeps these days because he's doing daily radio shows on Sirius XM. He's got his new daily show snaps with T Bob. He calls games every Saturday for SEC Network. He's got the players lounge. And on top of that, his wife is due. Three weeks, baby mm-hmm. number two. Life's about to get even crazier in the Murray household, but uh, it was great to be able to catch up with him, talk all things Tennessee, Georgia, a little Bama LSU, some Bo Nix, and some more stuff. So here is Aaron Murray. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Aaron Murray. Aaron, uh, we're, we're talking on Tuesday morning here. Um, I know it was a lopsided spread, so a Georgia victory expected. But for you personally, as a as a Tampa native who spurned Florida, how many days do you bask in a typical cocktail party victory? Oh man. Well, I listen, I, I grew up on the other side of the rivalry. Like I was a Florida fan growing up, you know, being in Tampa an hour and a half from Gainesville. You know, I would go to games all the time. Uh, my my uncle's a bull gator, so he's a big time donor to the university. So we'd get great seats. And uh so yeah, I I I was wearing that ugly orange and blue for a long, long time. And then I got smart and and, and came up north and, and went to Georgia. So it was always good to to be able to kind of have that that over my friends because you know my 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 high school Tampa plant you know half the kids went to Florida State half the kids went to Florida so like the week of the game I'm, my phone's blowing up from both sets of friends about the game either talking trash or saying hey kick their butt so it was always a good feeling and then for my parents who you know live in Gator country you know all year long uh, it was always good to send them home with a victory so they got to kind of wear their red and black with pride and not to worry about getting heckled too much about you know the the, the possible loss so yeah you enjoy it all year long it, it's it's an incredible rivalry it's a great rivalry and you know one right now that that obviously seems to be one-sided but just like anything in college football it's unless you're alabama uh very cyclical so we'll see if if if, if florida can get the the ball rolling here in the next couple of years talk about it being cyclical college football i think tennessee fans waited for that cycle to come around a little bit longer than what they would have hoped for but you know obviously that that game has been circled ever since i mean on the minds of georgia fans that's what everybody's been looking forward to since tennessee takes down alabama it's like okay this is this is for real now when you watched georgia this past week knowing what's ahead knowing the type of points that probably need to be scored in a game like this did you come away encouraged or discouraged by what you saw from stetson a uh, little bit worried. So, so this is this is interesting. When you look at Stetson last season, and my man, he's he's got the biggest chip on his shoulder. He wants to go out there and prove everyone wrong each and every week. And 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 you love that. Like there is a fine line of of confidence and cockiness that I think everyone needs to play at, but especially quarterbacks in today's game when they're asked to do a lot more. This isn't like when I played where you know I was asked the ball, throw the ball 20, 25 times a game. Like Stetson is at times going to be asked to go out there and win it and throw the ball 30, 35, maybe even 40 times this week to be able to keep up with an offense like Tennessee on the other side. So last year he played with, with that confidence. And, and sometimes he flirted with the cockiness. Sometimes he felt like he can make every single throw. 
try to fit balls in the tight windows. And, you know, Stetson has really good arm strength. It's not like Stetson has a, a pea shooter by any means and, and can't get the ball out there. Like he's well above average. He's great accuracy, good arm strength, good mobility, all that. But at times there was a, a feeling of, hey, I, I could be like Josh Allen. And he's not that. And obviously very few are to that level of talent and arm strength. And then this offseason, he went back, he watched the film. He said, hey, listen, I got to be better. I can't put the ball in harm's way. I got to be smarter. I got to get. I got to take care of it. And it looked like he was being a little bit too conservative over the past month. Hmm. You know, just wasn't really firing it in there, was trying to guide the football. And and, and Kirby kind of let us know that he's he was banged up a little bit too, but just did not look like the the same confident sets in Bennett that, that we saw the, the previous season. So all of a sudden it looked like by week, he said, screw it. I'm going back to confidence and then kind of flipped it to the extreme. And you saw him throwing balls and trying to trying to fit balls in the tight windows down the field that he wasn't doing early on the season. So all that to be said, I think there is a middle ground for him that he's still trying to feel out of who am I as a quarterback? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What throws can I, and can I not make? And how can I kind of play in this happy middle ground? And if he does that and, and, and looks like he did versus Oregon and against South Carolina, I think he's, he's one of the top quarterbacks in the sec. He just needs to, once again, understand what his strengths are, what, what his capabilities are and, and, and just play in that zone and he'll be plenty fine. Okay. You said on sec this morning that Georgia doesn't want a track meet with Tennessee and some Georgia fans kind of went at you. They're like, like, what do you mean? You don't think our offense is explosive. And that's not really what you were saying, but what you said, in my opinion, should be obvious at this point because Georgia's one in nine under Kirby Smart when it allows 30 points and they're 73 and six when they don't. I mean, that is like that tells you all you need to know, even with the more explosive offense with Todd Munkin. The tricky thing is that it's not like Tennessee is playing in a bunch of these shootouts. And that's kind of the misconception that's out there. Alabama, Florida, the only two teams that have hit 28 points against Tennessee. And because they're ninth in the country against the run, both yards per carry, yards per game allowed. It's not like you can really assume that you're going to be able to slow down the tempo that well either. So what does the path look like for Georgia to be able to win this one? Yeah, and, and, and it reminds me a little bit, like I don't want the game to get in the 40s. If I'm a Georgia fan, like then you're playing to to, to Tennessee's strengths. And, and I'm not dissing Georgia's offense. I think Georgia's offense is phenomenal. Georgia's offense is a top three or four offense in the SEC. It is, is one of the top offenses in the country. What Todd Munkin does is absolutely terrific. I love his play call. I love the way he moves Brock around and, and gets Kenny McIntosh involved in, in moving Washington around. And this is all without A.D. Mitchell, who I think is a huge X factor, who I'm, I'm hoping is back in this game for Tennessee because they're going to need him. But Tennessee is a different beast offensively. This is the best offense in the country. It is led by the guy right now who is favored to win the Heisman. It is led by three receivers that are playing at a very high level, especially with Cedric Tillman back in the fold. A, a great running game, a very good offensive line. Like, this is not a diss on Georgia's offense. This is just clearly stating Tennessee is the best offense in the country. And what do they do well? They score points. They scored fast. They scored in bunches. You don't want to get in that type of game because they will beat you because they are the better offense. So what Georgia needs is more of a, a I think, best case scenario. This is like the, the, the high end of it is like 38 to 31. I think Georgia can win a game like that. I think Georgia can win a game, which I would prefer a, 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 a 35-28, a 31-28. Like that's that's the world Georgia wants to live in. I think if Tennessee scores north of 35 points, I think Georgia's going to be in trouble. Um, you know, there's a lot going on from they're at home. 
This is probably the best defense that 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 Tennessee has seen all year. You know, I like their secondary. We've seen some guys, some that you know, especially Starks on the back end, some young guys come in there and make big plays. I think Chris Smith is absolutely tremendous at the safety spots. Um, you know, and, and you got two very good corners. So, like they have the guys on the back end to slow down this offense and make Tennessee earn it. And I think that's what you need to do too. Like, you know, you go back to Alabama, you saw it last week versus Kentucky, and shoot, you've seen it all year long. What what is demoralizing for a defense is when Tennessee scores in three plays. When it's yep. all of a sudden, you know, Alabama gets a turnover, they score a touchdown, and then boom, Hennon Hooker responds with a 75-yard touchdown to Jalen Hyatt. And then all of a sudden you're feeling good about yourself, and then boom, the dagger hits you right back. So, like, can you make Tennessee earn it? If they're gonna score, make them drive the length of the field, make it make them do it in 10 plays, not in three plays. So Obviously, easier said than done because they've been doing it all year long. But once again, I think Georgia has more of the, you know, the the personnel on the back end and the speed and the skill at the safety spot to match up with, like, say, Jalen in the slot a little bit better. I'd like to assume that when they got to the film room on Sunday or Monday and Malachi Starks had to watch him jump that route to, to Henderson and Kirby just made him go full Bart Simpson on the chalkboard and just write down, mm-hmm. I will not jump routes against Tennessee. Otherwise, Jalen Hyatt will score walking touchdowns. But, you know, that we talk about this Georgia defense and now, you know, we had questions coming into the year. Obviously, when you lose as many players as they did to the NFL, of course, it's going to be a question. Now they lose their captain, Nolan Smith, who's reportedly out for the year with the mm-hmm. pec injury. You know, it feels like we're going to play the results with this. If Georgia slips defensively down the stretch, we'll point to, okay, you lost your captain. Obviously, you were going to, you were going to slip a little bit Jalen Carter still working his way back it, but if they you know kind of round into form then we're going to say well you know Georgia stepped up next man up type of mentality yeah. where do you see this playing out without Smith I'm nervous I'm not gonna lie uh especially with Jalen just getting his first really his feet wet versus Florida and and it was good to see him back last week he's he is a to me a a top three NFL draft pick he's the best he's the premier defensive tackle in all of college football and you know, what you need to be able to do versus Tennessee. And if obviously if you want to win a championship going forward, because you're going to face elite offenses, you know, if you win this game, you're going to have to face Alabama. Uh, If you go into the playoffs, you're probably going to have to face most likely Ohio State at some point. So you're going to have to face really good offenses that want to push the ball vertically down the field that also have some resemblance of a running game. Uh, Alabama with Jameer Gibbs, great running game. Ohio State's kind of been, you know, stuck in the mud for the past two weeks, but they still have the personnel to get that 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 part of their offense rolling. So when you face these offenses that can do both, the best thing you could do is be able to play too high, uh, be able to to give support to your to your corners on the outside where it's not a one on one matchup. In order to do that, you have to have big guys up front that can slow down the run, that can get after the quarterback without having to bring a fifth or sixth defender from the linebacking or from the nickel spot. So, you know, Nolan was that guy that that could create some pressure, and then you you throw in Jalen all of a sudden, you're like, okay, this all this defense can finally start producing a little bit more when it comes to sacks and quarterback pressures and all that. So, you know, if I had to pick one, I would kind of lean towards Jalen. But obviously, you know, going forward, I think you kind of need both. So I'm a little bit worried about this weekend. And and going back to the whole Jalen point, you know, is he in game condition to go at the tempo that Tennessee wants to go offensively? That That's a problem. I mean, the yep. kid has played very little football this season. And it is a different beast going coming back, playing against a Florida offense that doesn't go up tempo. 
compared to this offense that wants to snap the ball in every, you know, with under 20 seconds every time. So is Jalen ready for that? Plus the whole emotional aspect of this too. You know, it's going to be an emotional game. One versus two, you, you, you tend to play a little bit harder, which you can, you know, can wear yourself out a little bit faster too. Does Georgia have even more depth than we thought they had to be able to rotate guys in and keep them fresh? Yeah, if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm thrown out last year. I'm like, you talk about the depth. They had the depth to be able to play with Tennessee. And when you can get pressure without sending those extra guys like you talk about, it's just different. Like Georgia sacked Hooker five times last year. And this year they have eight sacks on the season. I mean, or I think that maybe that's what, or no, they have 10 and then Tennessee is allowed. Which is still last in the SEC. It's last in the SEC right now. And it's been a problem. And Tennessee, meanwhile, like they've they've been able to to block Alabama. I mean, they contain Will Anderson. So you wonder about what exactly that's going to to look like. In this game, you have Georgia winning. I know you talked about it the other day. Do you have a, a final score prediction locked in? Well, I will say this. I mean, the difference, I think the big difference, we've seen it all year long. Like it's just crazy. Every time I turn on college football and big time games and big time stadiums, the difference the crowd makes. And, and it's funny, I mean, Kirby said it like fans, like save your voice, get ready to go, get ready to get loud. And we've seen Sanford make huge impacts on games. I, I go back to last year versus Arkansas yeah. and, and Arkansas couldn't even, couldn't even get a snap off just full start after full start after full start. I mean, like that we talk about 12th man mentality, like Georgia fans really need that this week. And, and, and you have to bring your a game as a fan and get loud and, and create any sort of advantage you can, especially with your defense line, being able to get after the quarterback, getting that first step on the offensive line. So that's an advantage. You know, you, you talk about, hey, they, they were able to slow down Alabama in that pass rush. It was at home. They didn't have to deal with the crowd noise. So that is a factor that, once again, I've seen it over and over again, each and every week playing a big, big role. You know, you saw it last week with Penn State and Ohio State and the slow start that Ohio State had there, uh, there in Happy Valley. So um, I, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm hoping for. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I'll go with I'll go with 35, uh, 35, 31 Georgia wins. Uh, I just think Georgia's a little bit more balanced on both sides of the football. I, I, I've, I'm hoping AD's back, but regardless what what matchup issues Brock Bowers is, I think this is a game where you're going to see a lot of Kenny McIntosh. You saw him a lot more versus Florida. To me, last year when Georgia was at their best and even this year, it's when when a running back played a big role in the passing game. You saw James Cook, like yeah. every big game Georgia had last year, James Cook seemed to be getting the ball a ton. And 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 Oregon this year, Georgia's best offense performance, Kenny had a boatload of catches out of the backfield. That this is a game of matchups. Where are my chess pieces? Brock Bowers, Kenny, Darnell, get those guys matched up, take advantage, and then you know hopefully you know McConkey takes care of the football, and then you get AD back, I think they can move the ball down the field against this defense and then flip it over. I think Georgia can create enough confusion and enough frustration, especially with their secondary, to to at least slow down Tennessee where they're not scoring at, at such a rapid pace that they're accustomed to scoring at. Other monumental showdown, SEC division championship of sorts. I guess Bama could technically have a division championship against Ole Miss if they win this one, if Ole Miss remains unbeaten. Uh, with Jaden Daniels, we've seen this this maturation this year develop over the course of the season where he has put a lot more of that faith in his receivers and the scheme. We've talked about it a lot. With guys like him and Spencer Rattler and Bo Nix, these guys who play so early in their careers and, and then they pick up some of these bad habits when it comes to diagnosing pressure, 
you're somebody who played early in your career and you had to figure that out in a hurry, in a hurry of how to kind of read levels and where to be able to work with your progressions as a dual threat who played immediately because people forget you were a dual threat coming out of high school. How, how challenging is that element? And do you think that makes a difference with some of these quarterbacks later in their careers? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere. I will say this. I will, I am nowhere near Jaden speed. Uh, I was a dual threat, but not, I wasn't as much of a dual threat at Georgia. I tried to really hone in on, on pocket. I kind of went to the two extreme. And, and I remember Bobo, my senior year is like, man, you need to, you need to kind of let loose a little bit more. Like if it's not there, just take off and run. Uh, I did a little bit more my freshman year, sophomore, junior year, not as much. And then senior year kind of set it up a little bit, but um, you know, you, you can get in the bad habits of, of, of the mindset of, okay, one read and go where, Hey, I don't feel great. Um, you know, my first guy is not there. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a superior athlete. Let me just take off and use my legs. And then you have success with that. So then you just get in the bad habit of just boom, 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 get through your reads quickly. Don't really let it develop and then just take off and run. And you saw a little bit of that with Jaden early on the season where, Hey man, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to throw an interception. I don't want to put our team in a bad situation. I'm still learning this offense. So if the first read's not there, let me just take off and run. Let me just go use my legs to get the first. And he was having success. You go back to Florida State. You know, the really only reason why they were moving the football was him just being in a hell of an athlete. But when you look, I think he's starting to, you know, kind of look around him. And it, it goes back to what I was talking about with Stetson. Like you have to have a little bit of confidence and cockiness and, and also willingness to, to make mistakes. Like this is a game of, of imperfections. You're going to make mistakes, but when you look at the receivers that LSU has from, you know, obviously it's good to see Butte somewhat more engaged in the offense to Dre, to Malik, to, to, to Besh, who hasn't had as much of an impact, but still a talented guy to Taylor at tight end. Like the, 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 the risk is always there to push the ball vertically down the field, but the reward is also humongous. And, and those guys are talented and you just got to let it rip. So you know, it's a comfort level in the offense. It's going back and watching the film saying, okay, versus this coverage and this play, this is how it unfolded. This is when the guy came open and I didn't trust it, but the film is telling me that I need to trust it. Then you go back and practice and work on it. So it's all a matter of just getting there, watching it, seeing it, repping it, and then eventually just go out there and trying it. And right now it seems like his eyes in the right spot, his feet are in the right spot. He's letting it rip. And, and I'm excited about this game. I, I'm a big fan of LSU. Uh, I was I was I was kind of super excited about them to head into the season, and I kind of said that hey, this is a team that's going to win some games that they're not supposed to in people's mm -hmm. mind because they got the talent. I think they're 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 uber talented on offense. I think their freshman tackles are playing well. I think they got some really really talented guys on defense from you know BJ Ojolari to Jay Ward. I like some guys in the secondary. They can they can win this football game. There, there's no doubt about it. I think this is going to be a very competitive game. Seven o'clock, six o'clock, whatever it is there in Baton Rouge, it's going to be a hell of an environment. And I think another point people are making, which is fascinating, you know, Alabama players said they had some anxiety going to Tennessee and playing in that game. And Tennessee is an incredible environment, and it's very similar to what environment they're going to face in Baton Rouge. So I would not be surprised if this is a hell of a four-quarter battle between between the Tigers and Alabama, because I think talent-wise, they 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 almost have equal talent on both sides of the football. Okay, so how do you see this playing out? Do you see Jaden Daniels continuing the post-Tennessee success that he's had? Or alternatively, do you see T-Bob yelling loud noises at you on Saturday night? 
Yeah, I definitely can see T-Bob. He's going to be yelling loud noises one way or the other at Saturday night on our show. Um, golly. I, I like deep down inside, I want to say that that LSU is going to win, but you know, this is just you know, Alabama coming off a bye week. Obviously, both are coming off bye weeks, but you know, you know, Nick Saban, you give him an extra week to prepare, he's going to be ready to go. And, and, um, so I'll, I'll go with Alabama, but I think they do cover it. Tennessee or, or, or LSU does, excuse me. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a single digit kind of game. I think, I think LSU can keep it within 10 points. Uh, within nine points, and and they lose a you know close game. But I mean, if I'm an LSU fan, and if you can win a a possibly one score game to Alabama after the year you're having right now, man, that just tells you how good this team is going to be in the future with Brian Kelly at the head coach spot. By the way, Snaps is just such a great name for a center QB podcast show. Like whatever you want. Like I I didn't pick up on it immediately and then i looked at it, i was like oh okay that makes perfect sense did you can't did you come up with the name or did cowherd just have that in his back pocket i think coward and and, and their team of creative people had in there see i i'm 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 big time into alliteration so i was trying to think some sort of alliteration with it um once in past oh, I'm, no I'm not i'm not i'm not a creative person like i don't have a lot of creativeness in my in my soul uh so yeah i i cannot take credit for that Let's do a little multiple choice with uh, some predictions here. Uh, who wins the SEC? A, Georgia, B, Tennessee, C, Alabama, or D, other, which I guess is basically just Ole Miss and LSU at this point. Yeah, uh, I'll go A. I'll go Georgia. Yeah, okay. I think they I think they take care of business this week. And, you know, Alabama is just not not as scary of a beast as as we've seen over the past decade plus. Georgia goes 13-0 and with this schedule with the talent that's lost i don't i don't care what happens after that that would be one of the all-time regular season feats i mean it truly would and i understand everybody's like oh they just got five stars on five stars but like the talent that was lost and to turn around and do that that would be unlike even what alabama did regular season 2018 where they at least return you know two and it's a little bit of a different story with the receivers and all that stuff that would be unbelievable okay um the heisman a hennon hooker b cj stroud C Bo Nix or D other? Uh I'll go B, CJ Stroud. And I think the 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 issue, I think it all it all hinges on this weekend. Yeah. If 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 Tennessee does win, I think I think Hooker gets the Heisman. I think it, it doesn't even matter what happens in the SC championship game unless he just craps the bed. But like if Hendon Hooker goes out there and you know throws two, three touchdowns and it's a competitive game versus Alabama, but Alabama wins, I don't think you can fault a kid. That that had to go against Alabama, beat Alabama. That had to go to Athens, win that game, and then have to reface Alabama again. And you expect him to win that game? Like that's it's a little absurd. So I think his, I think the Heisman could be decided this weekend for him if they win and he stays healthy. I, 90 percent that he wins at the end of the day. But if I go back to my predictions for the game, if Georgia does win, I think it 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 doesn't completely knock him out of it, but. I think CJ and Oklahoma, or excuse me, Ohio State, take care of business for Michigan. They'll then probably take care of business for Illinois in the Big Ten championship game. He has the stats, um, so I would put him as as my next guy after that. By the way, crazy thought just to think that Bo Nix—that's not even a joke mention right no, there at all. No, like we were there in Atlanta to open the year, and, and I would have said that it was more likely to see him benched at this point of the year than on a short list for the Heisman in, in November. What have you kind of made of his transformation this year? 
when he doesn't have to play an SC, play against SEC defenses. There it is. No, I mean, listen, I was impressed with Bo Nix last year. I, I love what I saw from him. I had him a couple games. Uh, I covered him twice. I had him versus Arkansas. Then I had him versus Georgia. And he was a one-man show. He had no support. Offensive line was you know, okay to average. I thought the receivers were were piss poor. You know, they fired the receiver coach middle of the season for for that reason. Um, you know, they had good running backs, but other than that, man, he had to be he had to be Superman over and over and over again. And I thought he played really well. Like I thought by far it was Bo Nix's best season there at Auburn. Obviously, you get hurt, you transfer out, but like the talent was there. The 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 maturity and the the building as an athlete continued to progress over his three seasons. So you knew he was going to find a way to have a good year this year in the Pac-12, and he's having it. Uh, and I even thought at times versus Georgia, he he looked good. It just was the stupid turnovers. Yeah. Um, and that's that's like that's the mentality of thinking you can do too much instead of just taking care of the football. If he takes care of the football versus Georgia, I thought like once again at times they were moving the ball in the first half, and then kind of the game just ran away from them. But no, man, not surprised at all. He's having success. Uh, I think he's a great athlete, has all the tools that you want to be successful. And yeah, if they win the, the Pac-12, which their schedule kind of lines up to be able to do that, you know, you get Utah at home here in a couple of weeks. You, know, you do have to go to Oregon State at the end of the season. And then, you know, you'll face USC or UCLA in the championship game. I think he, they're better teams than both those teams. Obviously, they proved it versus UCLA. So yeah, if you're 12-1, and one, and you're, I think, I think he may be leading the country in touchdowns right now, or at least top two or three. He'll have the stats to be in New York, so I think he will be in New York. I just think if 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 Ohio State is undefeated, CJ will get in. Obviously, like I said, if 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 Tennessee wins this weekend, I think it's pretty much a lock that that Hendon will be the guy. Agreed, agreed. Last one for you. What do you want to see uh, play out with the Auburn job? And you can go in any direction you want with that. You can be the unbiased journalist which uh, analyst will call you an analyst or look, I'll, I'll be honest. If I experienced a loss like you did at Jordan hair, I'd probably just want them to hire a middle school coach. Uh, if my number one guy, and I love covering him, I love watching him uh, is Lane Kiffin. And I know that's, that's a lot of people are excited about him. I just think, you know, what his offense does and then the resources that he would have compared to what he has at Ole Miss, I think he could be tremendous. Um, you know, his ability to – to what he's shown in adapting to this era of football, whether it is, is you know, the transfer portal, which he's he's tremendous at. You know they're going to have the resources to do NIL there at, at Auburn. They already have – you know, you're looking at the collective and there's been numbers spit out about $13, $14 million they've raised. Like they will be fine in that area. And then obviously his offense and, and how dominant it's been. He can still recruit at a high level. I mean, Judkins, for goodness sakes, is from the state of Alabama. His starting running back, I'm, I would not be surprised if he got the job, that Judkins would follow him to Auburn. Um, so, so, I mean, why would you not? I mean, you're having incredible success with Lane Kiffin. You get one transfer, you get to go back home. I would immediately be in the portal if I'm Junkins and going with him there to 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 Auburn. So you know that's that's one, and then you know two would be I, I think Dion would be great. And I know there's a hesitation of okay, we took a chance on Brian Harson. He wasn't as known commodity. He wasn't a Power Five coach, you know. But Dion has the star factor, man. Like a guy that was able to get 60 minutes to to Jackson State, a guy that was able to get game day to Jackson State. A guy that can can recruit, you know, got the number one DB in the country to go Jack State. Like he is going to bring that it factor, that CEO factor. 
you know, regardless of the X and O's, which he doesn't have to deal with, just his ability to do all those other things to raise money and recruit. I think he could be an incredible fit. Uh, I know Charles Barkley is a big fan of him and wants him there. Imagine matching up Charles Barkley and his energy with Dion. I mean, that is that is heaven for with with raising money for resources for NIL to be able to then bring in the top recruits through the transfer portal through through recruiting high school kids. I think that would be a, a, an incredible opportunity for Auburn. So those would be my two guys uh, that I would kind of lean on as my first two options. As a couple of children of the '90s, man, my ears just perked up thinking about that and thinking about Dion and, and Charles Barkley doing their thing together and hitting the hitting the recruiting trail and doing all those things. Notice you left out Hugh Freeze too, which you're going to be on the call for yep. Liberty, Arkansas this weekend. Just I'll, I'll text you this weekend and see if Hugh Freeze drops any sort of subliminal hints of like, yeah, I know I got that eight year, forty million dollar deal, but Auburn, you know, just just kind of keep it on on the back burner. But I'll, I'll, we had a meeting with him Friday night, so you know that's going to be the first question that that someone asked in the meeting about. Hey, what do you think about this opening? <laughs> yeah, just sign a contract extension. But yeah, let's talk about this other job. No big deal. I'm sure he'll be Which is open. weird. I mean, because yeah. he knew, everyone knew that the Auburn job was going to come open. Like, it was just a matter of time of when. So why would, if, if you were going to seriously consider it, why sign an extension with Liberty and not wait to see what plays out at Auburn? We don't know what that buyout money is. That's the interesting thing. How much it would take to buy him out of that deal at Liberty. That deal is guaranteed. It's fully guaranteed. Well, I'm saying like for him, like if you yeah. knew if because you know that Auburn would go after him, and you if you know that the the job's going to be open, that you're probably going to get an offer. Why sign a long term deal at Liberty if you know that a deal from Auburn is going to be on the horizon? Unless, and the only thing that I could be thinking of is if he's had the, com- those conversations behind closed doors with people at Auburn or he's had his people and they've pretty much told him, we're going to be going in a different direction. We think we have at least exactly. a few candidates lined up. So that's a good point. Yeah, very interesting. But yes, listen to Aaron on the call this weekend. Go listen to Snaps on your billion platform, SiriusXM. Man, you're everywhere these days. You're all over the place. I absolutely love it. Aaron, appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, brother. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash week 10 edition. Will we say I miss the good old days? We need to remember weeks like this. The- these are the good old days right now. <laughs> we got seven SEC games, well, six conference games, and of course, Liberty, Arkansas. We'll have some SEC type vibes to it with Hugh Freeze against Arkansas, all that stuff. Two top 10 showdowns. Interesting mm-hmm. storylines galore to start off November. Takes are flying. Figured this would be a good time to check back in with people with bold and brash predictions where, you know, like let's be honest, we don't hold you accountable for these. We're not going to hold you accountable, but it's fun to just kind of throw these at the wall, see which ones stick. You never know. Unless you nail one like the lad Adam did last year and about Kentucky being like six and oh, that was crazy. Shout out Adam Stockton. Yep. Absolutely nailed that. Um, yes, who knows? Maybe you'll end up on this podcast for a great all time bold and brash prediction. All right, let's go to the Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. A lot of these. Thank you to everybody who has joined the Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. Let's start with. Charles Todaro Jr. says, LSU exposes Bama, wins by 10. What would be the thing that would would consider like, what would be exposing Bama, right? Because I think if there was ever a game in which we saw the potential weaknesses with Alabama, it was Tennessee. Discipline on the road, 
kind of struggling in those moments where you just need that defensive stop. Saw that last year against AM, where you just feel like, all right, you make the dagger play, and mm-hmm. then for whatever reason, you just can't stop the bleeding on the road. What would truly be exposing Bama? I think, I mean, I think the Tennessee game wasn't, I think that was Bama's third worst game. I think that they played worse against AM, and I think they played worse against um, Texas. Um, yeah. And I think, like, Bama played really well, and it was not really well, but like well enough to win against most teams. But Tennessee was just better than those other teams. Yeah, they make so, a kick, Tennessee doesn't. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like they, you know, I mean, obviously Milro played in the AM game. I'm not, you know, I understand why that game looked the yeah. way he did. With Bryce Young, it probably looks different. I understand that. But yeah, I think it's it's the Bill O'Brien on the road show, right? I think that the defense is what it is. Um obviously you're gonna have Eli Ricks and those boys um playing up to potential, but I think that uh Revenge the, game. the yeah, the the exposed thing wouldn't be about the defense though. It would be about the offense and those tight windows and Bryce running for his life against the LSU pass rush. Um, if that were to be how that I mean, that's how it looked last year, you know. Yeah, it did look like that last year. And this was a game in which, I mean, you have some of those pieces back defensively as well. Mike Jones, who? Mike Jones. 2-8-1-3-3-0-8-0-0-4. All-time number. If you ever see that number, you know what that number is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have some of those pieces back. Jay Ward, uh, Bakersfield, who's really, you know, he really came on strong and was awesome in that game against Ole Miss as well. Mm-hmm. I think that exposing Bama, though, I mean, anytime you beat Bama, it's considered, oh, you exposed them. They had more flaws than than what was let on. But I think we've kind of seen a lot of those to this point. To, to your point, they've had they've had these lackluster games this year. They had some of these lackluster games last year. LSU winning by 10, that's bold. Double-digit win. Will, I think you would take a double-digit win. Joe Burrow couldn't even beat Alabama by double-digit <laughs> They had that little bit at the end. They got scared. You're right about that, Connor. They that's were up true. double digits most of the game. And then suddenly. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, let's go to this one from Alex England. Alex says, Tennessee beats Georgia by two scores. I'm not even that bold yet. The sky is falling takes from Georgia if Tennessee were to do that. There would be a lot of this passing of the torch type thing. I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Georgia losing its first game in the regular season two years would be a sign of, all right, you got to get right. Last year, the get right game was the SEC championship. Kirby got back to the drawing board. This is what we got to do. We can't let Bryce Young do this, this, and this. We need to injure Alabama's receivers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but they made those adjustments, and they looked much better for it. And this could potentially be that in a loss. They lost regular season 2017. They got killed by Auburn in that game, game in which they were, you know, Georgia comes in, number one team in the country. So even if Tennessee did end up beating Georgia by two scores and I did a very long victory lap on a Sunday pod, I don't think that would mean the sky is falling for Georgia, which that kind of takes away from the stakes of this game. But I, you know, cause obviously the stakes are monumental. It's, you know, number one versus number three, but I, I still think that perspective needs to be kept in mind. Yeah. I think Georgia is really uniquely insulated in the SEC. Um, like they have a version of what like Ohio state or Michigan has in that, they recruit at such this high level that they and they don't play Alabama every year. So their floor at this point is a 10 win season. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if like there's no exposing Georgia because there's not a team in the East that really is even up to the level of talent. So you have a Tennessee team that can have a great scheme and can have great players this year. But then it's about, you know, their recruiting still isn't that where Georgia is. So over the course of five years, how many of those is Georgia going to win? Probably three or four. You know what I'm saying? Like, not to be doom and gloom guy. And Hypo Scheme is really good. We've been talking about all year. But if you're a Georgia fan, there's no exposing Georgia simply because, like I said, it's 
Like you're there's a, 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 a just to be honest, there's a big gap between them and Florida right now. And we saw, you know, Kentucky's not doing it. South Carolina's not doing it. Like these teams that we love are just not where Georgia is. And whenever they play them, it's obvious. And so it's different than being like LSU, where you take a step back and Bama is stealing all your recruits and Ole Miss is hiring Lane Kiffin and like you get jumped by three guys. It's like, yeah, if you lose to Tennessee once, like until Tennessee is number number one and you're number two in recruiting, if you're a Georgia fan, I'm not worried about that. And think about how fleeting it's been for teams in the division to have success against Georgia, right? 2019, South Carolina, they win that game, which was just one of the weirdest games ever with three <laughs> turnovers and stuff like that. It's like, all right, well, South Carolina's not going anywhere. It's like this is going right. to be some back and forth thing. 2020, Florida, a game that, all right, Florida was the better team at that point in the season. And then by the end of the year, we're like, well, if these two teams played on a neutral site, like who would win this game? And success against Georgia has been so fleeting. And if Tennessee does come out here, it's like they win this game by two touchdowns. And also we're been, we're like, whoa, could Tennessee and Georgia have like a yearly back and forth? That would be, I'm not saying it's going to be a top five matchup every single time, but just seeing this scheme kind of do <laughs> that type of work against Kirby Smart would be fascinating from that perspective. Uh, easier said than done. Way easier said than done. And, you know, we'll see what Tennessee looks like in a post Hooker world. I would still feel pretty confident if I'm a Tennessee fan, given what we've seen from this team so far. But just something that I'm going to keep in mind while watching this and the lack of SEC East sustained success against Georgia that there's been since Georgia's been Georgia under Kirby. Well, that's the crazy thing, too, and why I love college football. I, I'm not going to make fun of McVay again, but every offense looks different, even in the SEC, right? So it's like, other than those two guys, you have, you know, you have a Mike Leach, and then you have a Mark Stoops, and then you have, you know, like, you have, you're going to see a different scheme, and it's so cool to see these little kingdoms kind of battle, because it's like, we are the Tennessee kingdom, we air the ball out, we we play offense, we don't possess the ball, we don't really care about defense. Georgia, it's like, okay, we're going to play smash mouth defense, we're going to throw to the tight ends, we're going to suffocate you and make you want to quit, and you just go up and down the SEC, and it's like, Yep, it's cool to watch that these teams aren't just carbon copies of one another and that they can really have these type of rivalries that you could say my style versus your style. And that's the unique thing about college football, uh, mm-hmm. as you said, like that. That's something that, that I'll, I'll always love and getting to see these styles on, on display on Saturday is going to be a lot of fun. Larry Shea Hancock says Georgia over Tennessee by eight. LSU over Bama on a close one. Notre Dame over Clemson. CFP week one destroyed some bold <laughs> predictions, Cotton. Oh, the takes would be a flying man. If Bama, if Bama and Clemson lose on the same weekend, man, what would what would Paul talk about on first take? What would he possibly say <laughs> on first take? Oh man, I could see that right there. Yeah, that would be funny. Oh, he would have to the the, the box that he would put uh, Mad Dog in on first take would be incredible. <laughs> or on get up or something like that. Yeah, that'd be amazing to watch. Uh probably not likely. Probably not likely. I don't know how many days that Bama and Clemson have lost on the same day since 2015. I can't imagine. You know what? Maybe I could be correct. Maybe it happened last year. It might have happened last year. I don't really know. But that would kind of blow a lot of things up, and it would be kind of the chaos that we crave. Everybody from the outside perspective is rooting for new blood. We want to see new blood in the college football playoff. And understandably so, it's going to get less of a billing if Alabama and Clemson are locking down two of those four spots, if Ohio State's in there, and even if Georgia's in there. So I think that would be, in terms of like the national interest in college football, yeah, that's that would be an ideal sort of day. Although I would also argue, I think there's a little bit more national love for Tennessee than that than there is for for a lot of other programs like the premier programs who are back Tennessee feels a little bit different just because of the way that it's doing it and people love watching this offense 
Give me a TCU Tennessee playoff. I'm ready. Ooh. I'm tired of these teams. <laughs> give me, give me new teams. The, those colors would not compute. This that would oh, not feel gosh. like a playoff. Don't match. have them play each other. Actually, that would make my eyes want to vomit. Good point. Yeah, no, no, not for not for the the colorblind folk. That is, that is not that type <laughs> of matchup for them. Uh, Jacob Jacob Ogren says Tennessee thirty eight, Georgia twenty one. Bennett will have three total turnovers. Eesh. That would be if if that were to happen, and given kind of what we talked about with Stetson and and some of the turnover issues, we talked about that with Aaron as well. I think Georgia fans would start to bang the Carson, the Carson Beck drum a little bit louder. I'm not saying that he's also going to become the starter, but I'm saying they start to bang that drum a little bit louder. He's probably Stetson's going to be the starter as long as he's healthy and as long as Georgia has a playoff pulse. But if Georgia were to be in that position late in the year, which I don't think they will be because the rest of the schedule is very favorable for them, would that be a situation in which Kirby would turn it over to Carson Beck? Pro- probably not. Stetson would have to be really bad. He'd have to be terrible. Like four of us talking about Stetson in a quarterback competition lately. <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious. Never goes away. It faded for a couple of months, but it never truly goes away. I don't think mm-hmm. that necessarily happens, though. I think Stetson's maybe a little bit better than what that number would indicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do – we've had a lot of Tennessee, Georgia. Uh, let's do this one from – Andrew D. Andrew D. G. Acomo says LSU wins by two scores. That is the bold and brash prediction here. Brian Kelly can't beat an AP top five team because Bama is technically not in the top five. But winning a game like that by two scores, we talked about it earlier. Different kind of momentum that that would create for LSU. One that um, I think would have the national attention in a very different sort of way because that's what happens when you beat Alabama. The list of teams who have beat Alabama by two scores, Clemson 2018. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> yeah, they um, haven't been blown up. They've been, so they just crawl back at you. Like I was talking about, it's like a zombie. It's like, get out of here. Leave me alone. So even Ohio State came back, or Ohio State kind of let him back in the game in 20. They beat him by double digits in 2014. I can't remember. I what feel that like that was. one was. That might have. Bam. But that, that game was closer than what the final indicated. Right. I feel like as well. But yeah, the, the amount of teams who have been able to to do that, very, very few and far between. Um Bama's there, there's a reason why Bama's not an underdog, and it's because they don't have that kind of downside. That game was a seven point win for Ohio. How See? what exactly? It yeah, felt- no, that's exactly how the LSU game was. It's like you're up 10 points the whole game, and then it gets down to the end. It's like <laughs> yeah, you beat you if you beat Alabama by double digits, you're getting that contract extension tomorrow. That's mm-hmm. the way that works. And in a game in which that's not a bowl game, that you can use the oh they didn't care they weren't playing for a national championship excuse. Mm-hmm. Probably not gonna happen. But uh, let's close with this one from uh, let's let's close with this one from Zach Woodhurst. Zach says Georgia shows that week one form and beats Tennessee by three touchdowns. Puts an end to the 98 nostalgia. It would a little bit, and it would sting Tennessee fans, but I think they still have playoff life based on the resume. I really I really do. And maybe this could be the get right game for Tennessee. But, you know, who knows? They lose this game, and then the path to be able to 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 bypass the SEC championship and just get into the playoff. That's the spot that Tennessee has put itself in. And doing it with an offense like this. 
as I think absolutely helped. But um, yeah, if Jordan shows that week one form, yeah, there's there's no debate who the number one team in the country is. Uh, come next Tuesday, it's Georgia. Pretty simple. I will say, uh, I know you gave that caveat after I started looking this up, but Utah did beat Alabama by more than double digits. But again, yeah, that's the bowl a bowl game. game. Hey, it was a national championship game for Utah, who has since retroactively claimed that. So, yeah, uh, I, regular season. <laughs> okay, so when was last time they lost by double digits in a regular season game? It yeah, no, that's that. I don't even know. Like, it would have to be like 07. 2010? No. Yeah, we're doing this is a very good radio here, but this is like interesting stuff. Like I've, I've never like thought about this specific question. Um, yeah, okay. South Carolina beat them uh, 21-35. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that, there we that go. Was, there we go. There we go. Okay. I knew all, there was one we were forgetting. All roads lead back to 2010 South Carolina <laughs> with Bama. The last time something happened, it's always 2010 South Carolina. Yes. Well, it's great because you go, you go to look these things up and the, the results you're looking for get replaced by the recent beatdowns of Alabama. Of these teams yes. you're like, not that one, not that one, not that one. No, not the Utah State game. This like They're yeah. they're scrubbing the Bama losses. The, the globalists are getting it off of our search, their search engines. But you remember all of them. You always yep. remember the Bama losses. And people would certainly remember an LSU victory against Bama to Auburn and Alabama's national championship hopes. Mm-hmm. All right, well, lad of the week. I got one. Michael Gallion. Gallion? Gallion? Gallion, we'll, we'll call him. He mm-hmm. is the, quote, security guard who just went into full dance team mode with the, the Tennessee dance team. Mm-hmm. Um, had the crowd really fired up for the win. Kind of wrote about him, uh, how this all came together. If you haven't seen the video, looks like your standard security guard out there on the field for Tennessee. Stockier dude with a mustache. He's looking at the mm-hmm. crowd. Dance team member bumps into him. Then the dance coach steps in. Is like, man, you're in the way. Security guard says, I belong here. And then he shows him <laughs> electric plot mm-hmm. twist. Great, great video. I've got a little bit of, have I told you about this? I got a little bit of experience in this arena. What? Yes. Um, what? Not that exact setting. At our wedding, our first dance, Lauren and I just swaying slowly to bless the broken road. Shout out Rascal Flats. Music cuts. We look up at the DJ. We're like, what the heck, man? What's going on here? My buddy Glorioso even said very loudly, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And then don't you know it? Hey, ya comes on. Lauren and I go into full choreographed dance routine that we had been practicing for like eight months, like mm-hmm. almost every day. Neither of us had ever had to like learn a dance routine and perform in public, anything like that, which that's mm-hmm. the plot twist. All right. Like if we had like a dancing background or whatever, nobody really cares. My friend Katrina, Lauren's dad, they were the only people who knew it was a blast, a lot of fun soundtrack. Hey, ya, time of my life from dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, I then did the Carlton by myself and then Lauren. <laughs> of course yeah why wouldn't i and then uh timber um pitbull mm-hmm. mr 305 of course uh, a lot of a lot of people do this now it's a pretty common thing of course like you see that all the time in dances like everybody you know was doing it early on trying to go viral all that stuff but mm-hmm. i thought our setup our execution was really good help that like with the security guard we're not people who look like we should be doing that so mm-hmm. it just kind of worked so yeah lad of the week michael gallion that's a, that's a key. I was talking to my boss about that the other day, and he said, hey, just make your wedding about you. It's the one day of your life that's about you. Yeah. That's the key. It's like, hey, you know what I'm if, you, if you want to do that, make it happen. Yeah, so my lad of the week is uh, Miles Garrett. Um, so I don't know if Miles Garrett counts as a former SEC player. He didn't technically like play. Well, no, no, he, he counts. Because, yeah, he no, counts. he did. Yeah, because I was he played against LSU. Duh. Yeah. Okay. So I think when he was at it, when he first got to AM, they were Big Twelve, but he finished in the SEC. You're no, absolutely... no, 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 no. He he was because he was in the same rec- recruit class as Leonard Fournette. 
Oh my gosh. Wow. I'm an old dude. That feels like forever. Anyway, so SEC player Miles Garrett. There yeah. you go. Um, so he had a really great Halloween setup this year. Um, I'll go ahead and oh no, I can't share my screen. Anyway, uh, so basically he did a Stranger Things theme. Um, and he basically his thing is like he basically writes down the list of quarterbacks that he has sacked. Um, but he this year he did his yard and he basically made like a Baker Mayfield skeleton that he tied to a tree. There's like a Dak Prescott. There's like all these different skeletons. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's Baker and a Panthers one. And so, yeah, it's basically like the upside down with like all these quarterbacks that he has defeated. Super duper cool. Miles um, Garrett's been having a crazy time. He obviously got in that really big wreck in September yeah. um, where he was speeding and everything or not speeding, but just kind of going fast. I don't, hate, I don't want to characterize it as that, but luckily he survived. Um, and he's a really cool guy from everything I've seen. And so he also um, dressed in a Hellfire Club shirt from Stranger Things, did a nice little giveaway um, at uh, like the, the local um, hospital with some kids. Um, so we went from like kind of making a meme out of his yard, like all these people he terrorizes, like he's the villain, to, you know, being this like warm, cuddly guy for kids with his teammates. You know, he got one of his teammates uh, dressed as Batman here. He's dressed as, I guess, Eddie from Stranger Things. So super cool. Just super cool Halloween for the lad. Um, just good to see that these guys are real people, but they also can see, you know, what their influence is. Can you imagine being able to transform into his body for a day? Just top five guy to be able to do that. Just to say, I get to be Miles Garrett for, for a day because he gets to do stuff like that and put the, the graves of you know mm -hmm. quarterbacks that he sacked, all those different things in his yard because he's Miles Garrett. And nobody mm -hmm. steps to Miles Garrett because why would you? Even Joe Burrow was trying to track him down on that. <laughs> and he's like, oh, realizes that he's got Miles Garrett and he's about to get killed. And he's like, no, I don't want any part of that. That's what you get to do if you're that kind of specimen and you're that mm -hmm. kind of an athlete. Yeah, uh, that would be that. That would definitely be on my my short list. But yeah, Miles Garrett is a a freak of nature. You know what I would be doing? Just dunking for six hours. I would yes, Miles Garrett. I would just be tomahawks all day. Just and then I guess go have breakfast. Do you um, hit the gym? Do you? No, no. Oh, that might be kind of interesting. I can squat seven hundred pounds. This is rad. Everybody, look at me. Yeah, like if if I get to transform into <laughs> Nick Chubb for a day. I, I throw 600 on the squat rack, make it happen, man. When are you going to get to do this again? I, I'm making that video go viral. I'm like, all right, we we're, we're going to, we're going to have some fun here. We're going to see what exactly we can do. If it's just for a one day stretch, I feel like that, that was like a Disney movie or something like that. Just transform into somebody for one day. And just one of those freaks of nature. So that would be incredible. Just walk around the city at night and just wait for somebody to get robbed and just run up on them. Hey, <laughs> I'm Miles Garrett. You better not do that. Anymore. You better not do that. Be like Spider-Man. I will say really quick. I was, of course, thinking of Von Miller. My bad. He was in like yes, that little middle ground. Pass register from Texas A&M. I was like, yeah, what? Okay. Yes, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, also, happy 48th birthday to a certain Joe Moorhead. Oh, yeah. Know? We do not judge year one coaches on this podcast, so you can't hurt me with your words about his start. Mm -hmm. I said he's going to need at least three years to get the zips back, to get LeBron rocking Akron gear, pretending like he's been a fan the whole time. Give mm -hmm. him three years. We'll have LeBron up in the suite. He's got, I don't think they have suites at their stadium. Get him up on the sideline, something like that, the way that he does with Ohio State and any team that he pretends like he's a fan of. Um, mm -hmm. and three years three years and college game day at Akron I, I could close my eyes and picture all of it so Joe Moorhead will be he'll be 50 by then but I mean he'll have Akron atop the college football world and it'll be great and I'll say I told you so so happy birthday to lad Joe Moorhead a guy who's you know guys at Penn State are just doing better and better as time goes on um and obviously a couple of the guys at Mississippi State too I thought you were going to say something like like real deep on like a Joe Moorhead quarterback deep dive. You're going to talk about no, 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 no. Sorry, I I just remembered it. Uh, what is like kind of funnier? Is it like 
coaches saying that they almost left a job or NBA players saying they almost went to a college? Because basically LeBron is like, oh, I almost like Kobe was like, I almost went to Duke. LeBron was like, I would have gone to Ohio State. And then like Nick Saban will come out every couple of years and just be like, oh, well, you know, I almost quit three years ago. Yeah. I feel like those are very similar types of stories. Yeah, I always uh, the, the coaches who, oh, I interviewed for this job, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, mm, OK, Michael Scott interviewed for the job at corporate. How close was that to happening? <laughs> Not. Let's, let's be honest here. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think that's really interesting. And somebody's going to have to make a list of the every, every job that somebody has ever been rumored to have interviewed for, they said that they interviewed for, and then just add that to your resume. We talk about Indeed. A lot of Indeed <laughs> references on today's spot. Just add that to your Indeed profile. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast or in the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Enjoy week 10. Enjoy week 10.